0: Welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons Podcast. I am Joe, I am your host, but today I am not alone. We have brought back on a very special guest, and here he is. Hi, name is Mike, otherwise known as Narrow and Ahonni, Detroit Pistons subreddit. For having me. Yeah, um, he's been on the podcast a couple of times before, so even if you do not ever peruse the Pistons subreddit, if you listen to the podcast, you will have heard him a couple of times before. Um, we have some different opinions, so we should get some different point of views here And we're just going to kind of go through a lot of things Pistons figured That, um, you know, they got the three days off before the West Coast trip So it'd be a decent time to sort of as a break, sort of take stock of the general situation And that's sort of what we're going to do So before we get into the sort of bigger picture things Obviously the Pistons and Bulls played a game last night Which the Pistons won 99-83 to 83. Um so we'll talk about that a little bit first. I'll let you take the first bit of that, and then I'll say anything that I feel like afterwards. That.
1: <clears throat> uh, I'd say beyond uh, breaking what was a very unfortunate and embarrassing streak of having not won a single game since the beginning of February, since the trade against the team that was not exhausted, uh, Every se- all six of the Pistons wins uh, until the victory against the Bulls last night were over teams that were playing away at Little Caesars Arena uh, on the second night of a back-to-back and for the third game, uh, for, excuse me, for the third night in four. Those are exhausted teams. Those are generally considered uh, scheduled losses for teams. I mean, if you can win them, great. <clears throat> if not, you know, that's generally considered fine. in the tough situation to be in. So that was nice. Beyond that, not much good to take away from this game. Uh, some context, the Bulls, uh, who are tanking, Deliberately, everybody knows that it. it's happening uh, You know, with a solid seven or eight teams in the NBA right now. Uh, the Bulls were essentially bullied into bringing back Justin Holliday and Robin Lopez, uh, whom they had been keeping out the league. You know, essentially said, you, you have to bring them back because they're healthy and they can play. So the Bulls did that. They played those guys uh, who were pretty important players for that team. Uh, they played them for the entire first quarter, and then they were not seen again. Bulls end of the first quarter with a five-minute lead, uh, and for the rest of the way, the Bulls, you know, very largely rode, uh, you know, three players: uh, Cameron Payne, Zach Levine, uh, and uh, Laurie Markin, and you Yeah, know, Chris Dunn as well. But um, it, this was just—it was—it was an ugly win. Pistons didn't even reach 100 points. Uh, they were playing against a team that. Sucks and wants to lose as many games as they can. Uh, their rookie, Laurie Markinen, has been terrible since the beginning of February. He was looked at. People were saying, wow, look, you know, this the second coming of Dirk Nowitzki. He can't be stopped 3.1. three point line. He couldn't hit anything. He hasn't been able to hit anything for quite some time. Uh, Zach Levine's been battle season. Uh, Chris Dunn is, as uh, is well, boy, he's is, is, is below 50% true shooting. He's incredibly an incredibly inefficient shooter. And uh, the Bulls are a disaster as an organization. Uh, and against this disaster of an organization, uh, the Pistons again didn't put didn't didn't put up a good performance. They looked bad. Um, I I don't really take much good away from this game. Uh, and it's so it's it's unfortunate I think that the Pistons just you know they faced a the lower quality of competition, very very low quality of competition. They're able to win a game. It's nice to win a game, but it's not, it was not encouraging. Uh, nor did I expect it to be. I, I don't, you know, this this team has been very, very bad at <laughs> the trade. It's not very good for it. And uh, I I don't really see any sort of corner they could turn right now.
0: Well, I'd, I'd come away, I mean, like you said, look, it was not like a super awe-inspiring win by any stretch. But I would come away a little bit more positive. One thing about them not reaching 100 points the pace the game was played at was pretty slow. I think there were only, like, 94 possessions each for each team, so I'm not as worried about not reaching 99 points when it's played at such a slow pace. But, I mean, look, the thing that was most worrying while also not being worrying at the same time, which is weird, but Cameron Payne scored 17 points, and that guy is legitimately terrible. Um, now, part of it is that he went 4 of 6 from 3, like, terrible shooter, shooting really well from three isn't a big deal, but just the fact that he looked like a viable NBA player for a night was not so good. But, I mean, I still mostly came away okay because even though, I mean, a lot of people made a big deal about, you know, when Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday played, the Bulls had a five-point lead at the end of the first quarter, but that was largely due to the fact that the Pistons were just super sloppy to open the game And, you know, before the first quarter was over, the Pistons sort of, they tightened it up and, um, you know, they started to take control of the game even while those guys were in. And uh, so I wasn't as worried about that the whole way. But, I mean, all that said, yeah, it was not a pretty win. It was not a particularly inspiring win. Um, If they had managed to push it to the point, which they never quite managed to, if they managed to push it to the point where, um, there had been legitimate garbage time at the, for the last three minutes or so. It's like, if they pushed it beyond 20 points, there's three minutes left, and then you bring in all the scrubs for a while, then I would have felt better about it. Um, and it's not a great sign that they were not able to quite crest that, you know, sort of, that sort of hump at the end, and they pretty much played their guys all the way to the last minute of the game or so. I think that they put in the scrubs for the last minute, pretty much. So, you know, it's not a great win, but... I mean, all things considered, it could have been worse, most definitely, and I mostly came away somewhat positive of it. Um, I thought that they defended decently, particularly after the early stretch where they let gave up a whole bunch of um, transition points. Um, You've mentioned that Markinen has not played well over the last month or so, but still, I mean, <laughs> six points on 12 shots, that's... <laughs> He, that's 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 pretty awful. Um, Bobby Portis has been playing pretty well this year. He went one of ten. Um, Zach Levin has not played particularly well, but he hasn't been totally awful. He shot threes pretty well this year. Um, so I just I came away thinking that, for the most part, they played a tanking team and played better than them and did fine. Um, the biggest worry is just that they weren't able to put, quite push it over the edge late in the game. I would have liked them to be able to do that, but... Um, overall, I'm certainly not as down on it as you, but that is what it is. So that's, that's last night's game. Um, next we want to move into sort of the big picture things. And the first thing with the big picture is the Blake trade. Um, what we thought of it sort of at the time that it happened, and then sort of what our thoughts have progressed as, um, throughout there, I suppose, throughout the time and then going forward. So, um, you could take it away first. Go right ahead
1: uh i hated it at the time uh i like uh i remember uh on the day the trade was made i was heading home from uh new york city uh and uh, saw the news that the put avery bradley up for you know on uh on a trade docket you know and i thought great you know looks like the direction they're taking is you know the direction that makes the most sense for the organization which is uh Get rid of Bradley, get something for him. And, uh, you know, just then let the season play out as it is. You know, probably the Pistons are going to do very poorly. They'll go into the draft, uh, you know, at a decent position. I mean, this is a team that had lost eight straight, the team that had lost 20 of 28. Uh, it was, you know, Reggie Jackson, his return was nowhere in sight. <clears throat> they could very reasonably have told him, just don't come back. You know, just, you know, take the rest of the season off. Keep rehabbing your knee you know, which, which still probably isn't at 100%, you know, come back 100% for next season because, you know, you just, you're not going to be able to help. Um, and, uh, you know, then great. You know, there was this, this whole plot out for the next, uh, you know, for the next 16 months that I saw, you know, the Pistons would get maybe a good draft pick, maybe a decent draft pick, probably I would say top 10 based on how horribly they were playing. And, uh, Beyond that, you know, you're looking forward to next season. Healthy business team, still good enough to compete. Um, You know, play Kennard a ton, give Ellenson some time, play Stanley a ton, you know, really give that time to the youngsters to help them develop. And, uh, you know, come back and uh, you've got much the same team you had to start the season. Uh, You've got some young guys with more experience, hopefully a better Stanley Johnson. And, uh, you know, probably make the playoffs next season. I mean, it was a team with that amount of talent. Then come 2019, you've got anywhere between 20 and 20, 28 million dollars uh, to spend. And that's before you resign people with bird rights. So that would have, you know, and, and that may have been even more, uh, you know, even more money uh, because John Bloor and uh, Langston Galloway would have been on expiring contracts. Maybe get rid of those and get somebody good in return. Who knows? Because somebody likes expiring contract. Uh, so Pistons would have had quite a bit of money to reload on, on good depth, and then you resign Tobias, and if you want to, then you resign Stanley, and you resign Reggie Bullock. You're gonna have to go significantly over the cap, but that's a good team, not a great team, but that's a, that'd be a better Pistons team than we have seen in a long time. <clears throat> and uh, so, actually, I was, you know, just thinking on, uh, you know, all this stuff. I was, uh, you know, gonna write about future direction and how things are going, and uh, then I see the Pistons with Blake Griffin. And I was like, oh, God, (laughs) this is (laughs) this is exactly the sort of thing that this team didn't need. A panic move to, uh, you know, find some sort of star player, find a big name. This guy does not fit the team. This guy does not make the team better. He puts a lower ceiling. He really disrupts everything. So I hated the trade from the very, very beginning. Part of it was, you know, the sort of borderline trauma of losing Tobias Harris. I, I love I mean, he's not a perfect player. But
0: I can interject that? here a second, like, yeah. anyone who's doubting, my man here has legitimately, he has rode that Tobias Harris train for a long time, so, and that, admittedly, that is something that can really flip you on this train, is that Tobias Harris remains a somewhat polarizing player, pretty much everybody agrees that he's good, but just how yeah. good he is or not is something that, among basketball people, you know, is still somewhat polarizing, and, and you know, you really have, you have been a big Tobias Harris fan from pretty much the moment he arrived. So that's yeah. just something I wanted to throw out there. You're not, you're not just saying, oh, I love Tobias Harris. It's like, did you
1: really love to-? he, he really <laughs> did think that highly of him. So
0: you can keep yeah. going. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm under no impression that Tobias is a superstar. And, and part of what I like about him is he's just the kind of sportsman, uh, you know, he's, he's the ideal I would hold, up. Uh, I would hold sportsmen to, uh, the guy, nobody has anything but great things to say about his character. I mean, Tobias is as a likable a guy as they come. Uh, you know, he's an outstanding citizen off the court. On the court, uh, he was always a hard worker, always team first, like to a fault at times, to a fault where it's like, Tobias, you're the best scorer on this team. Shoot the ball. I mean, you don't have to pass it here. You know, just take your shots. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, because you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up largely on a diet of the going to work, Pistons. You know, the ultimate team team, uh, Red Wings players like Steve Iserman, uh, you know, Nicholas Lidstrom, you know, guys who were just all, you know, superstar talents, uh, who were all about the team. So I was sad to see him go. I think he still has a lot of potential. He's not a perfect player. He's got garbage defensive IQ. I mean. You know, nobody can accuse the guy of taking a, even a single playoff, but he made a lot of the same mistakes over and over again. <laughs> but um, I will say that I don't think he was persistently put in the best position to succeed on this team. And then Stan Van Gundy almost always utilized him well below his talent level. Um, so, but I was just sorry to see Tobias go because I'm, I'm such a big fan of him. Yep. Wasn't sorry to see Bradley go. Bradley had been very bad, so get to later. Uh, I think Van Gundy had a big part in that, uh, injury as well, but honestly, you know, number one, it was, it was seeing, you know, what I thought was going to be the best spot for the team and one that, you know, I felt pretty hopeful about seeing that just come crashing down, uh, you know, drastically change the team's future. But also I'm thinking this is just a bad trade. Um, it goes completely against the calculus of the modern NBA, uh, where shooting is king. It's. Makes Andre Drummond, around whom this team has been constructed, and who is a very, very fit defensive player, it makes him worse immediately, um, because the conditions uh, he requires for success, those are gone. Uh, and uh, Blake Griffin, you know, I think even even his staunchest supporters would agree that his contract is enormous. Health concerns are a big deal, but I just looked at it and I said, this team is completely and irrevocably broken. Uh, or, you know, uh, in, in the modern NBA. And now the salary cap implications uh, that result from this trade mean that the Pistons can't really do anything to improve the situation. So I saw this from the very beginning as, oh, look, here's a star player. We want to put butts in the seats. He's available. Let's get him. Because I think in terms of a basketball standpoint, I think it made very, very little sense. And there was this small part of me that says, okay, well, this is exciting and great. You know, I was excited to watch his first game, even though I felt really, really badly about the direction. And, uh, you know, I recognized in those first four games, uh, they were playing largely bad teams. The Nets and the Grizzlies both suck. Uh, the Heat were without their uh, top-notch rim protectors some Whiteside. The Trailblazers don't have a very strong front court. They're a good team, but all four teams were completely bone tired, uh, and basically, so so Blake was who really only played well against the Grizzlies. Uh, the we were able to win. They were able to win close ugly games, but um, you know, I think uh, uh, what's really farcical about this trade is that um, is that we traded for the supposed superstar, and I don't believe he's a superstar. Uh, I think Griffin is. A very good player, but he's somewhat outdated uh, for the current state of the NBA, and his value is very much like Drummond, though so not quite as much. Is very fit dependent. He'll be very good on some teams and less good on other teams. Uh, but uh, it's kind of farcical that we went out to get this superstar, uh, superstar player, supposed, uh, and it's like great. He's going to be awesome. Pistons are going to be so much better and in in many ways they have been overall worse than the team that preceded them, the pre-trade team. Uh, They they have been an absolute disaster. Um, It's just, and the team has reverted, excuse me, fans and and analysts have uh, pointed, not analysts, largely fans have pointed to the same excuse as to, you know, why are the Pistons doing so poorly before the trade? Well, having Reggie Jackson out sucks and having a coach who's not very good and cannot extemporize well. It's bad, and even then the Pistons were losing a lot of games by a small margin. Like their average margin of margin of defeat in the eight game win streak was about seven and a half. They lost, I think, half those games by less than five points. Um, and uh, you know, and then we make this big trade. Who's our first round draft pick? Who's our best shooter? Who's all of our flexibility? And um, you know, and I think I'm sure with Tom Doris probably Stan Van Gundy as well. It's like, you know, great, we're making this to try to make the playoffs this year as well. And the team's a disaster. And then the fans will do the same excuse. Oh, well, Reggie Jackson isn't here. And it's like, well, that's not good enough anymore. And we made this franchise change in trade, very expensive in opportunity cost and assets. Uh, And and costly in a number of ways. And the team is arguably worse. Um, And I think that's in part due to coaching, but I think in large part, it's just due to a horrendous fit. Blake Griffin on this team that makes him a whole lot less valuable uh and the fact that in a shooters league the Pistons are now an absolutely terrible shooting team and I could go on and on about this um for the record I I think horribly poorly of Stan Van Gundy I don't think this was his idea uh, I think uh, Stan Van Gundy was one of the pioneers of the three-point era um he the reason his teams were successful in uh in Orlando uh, you know, not just because of Dwight Howard. Sure. It's great to have Dwight Howard, but you know, the second best players on those teams, sometimes Javier Nelson, you know, ironically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as much as none of us want to think about him. Yeah. And, uh, Hato Turk, those were teams very short on talent. They maintained an efficient offense, part because of Howard, but in part because their three point attempt rate and how they dealt with three point offense was well ahead of its time. And they were, they were accordingly able to maintain an efficient offense, very, very little talent. Um, And now, uh, Stan Van Gundy loves that system. He spent years trying to build it in Detroit. He loves the stretch fours, which is a good thing, you know, that those are the modern power forwards or stretch fours. Uh, And he absolutely could not wait to get rid of Greg Monroe uh, to replace him with a three-point shooter. And great. uh, Now, suddenly, they make a trade that runs entirely counter to everything he believes about how a team in the NBA should play. And his interview after the trade was completely farcical You have a guy who looks like he's just spouting the party line, just desperately trying to look like he believes in this trade. When he says, well, it just had to be done, you know, no real justification. Or, well, we would have done this if we were on a 10-game win streak. No, you wouldn't have. That would have been a 30-18 and Pistons team, fourth or fifth best in the league on route for 56 wins. No, you wouldn't. You don't touch that kind of team. You know, that's the kind of team you look and you say this could be successful and this could put fans back in the seats. Uh, and, uh, you know, beyond that, like, Oh, you know, all these teams are trying three point offense. We'll try something different. It's like, no, you won't mathematically speaking, this is not a viable way of doing things. You know, it. so I think that this was largely a move brought on by Tom Doris. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I I don't see good things happening here that there's, you know, a lot of things will have to go right. A lot of things, which I can, you know, I guess I'll. Go over to later, so I don't want to. I don't want to take up all the time here, but uh, <laughs> I think a, a great deal of things will have to go right for the Pistons to really even have a shot at being a second round team playoffs uh, for the next two seasons, and you know that means a lot of players making a lot of progress, making a lot of changes. Uh, but I just think the team, the roster as it is constructed, is beyond archaic. This is a kind of team that would have struggled to win in the 1990s. And it was outdated in the 2000s and, uh, you know, in our current decade, especially with the absolutely incredible progression uh, in terms of how offenses have changed over the last three years, like even just since the Warriors won, uh, uh, won the championship in 2015. Uh, it's a completely broken team, like one that, that, that is about as ill-fitting uh, both in the, in the pieces of the roster and into the NBA itself uh, not quite as bad, but uh, you know the, only other t- the the most recent team that comes to mind in that capacity is the 2013-2014 Pistons with three big men uh, and, and no real shooting and horrible spacing. So it's been depressing, and watching the Pistons just be absolutely terrible since the trade has been depressing, because uh, prior to the trade, there was a silver lining. We'll get a good draft pick, and we'll take it from there. Now there's no silver lining. Pistons are locked in for the next two years. So... Um you know, we've uh, just basically at it uh, as looking back, there have been a lot of disappointments about what was a very promising season from the draft onward. Um, but I had a lot of hope to this team, and now it's a very different team. I don't have, uh, you know, I, I,
0: I hope it'll go well. I hope
1: I'll be wrong. But I don't see that happening, unfortunately, barring yeah. major changes. Yeah. Um, the I do
0: find it interesting that you don't think Stan Van Gundy wanted this move. I've never really even considered it but the one thing that is worth mentioning is that I think that people definitely have a te- have had a tendency to overstate the amount of impact Stan Van Gundy has had on a lot of the front office moves like when you listen to the guys within the organization talk it sounds like it's very much like Jeff Bauer is the GM and he does most of that and they just sort of like instead of like they with, with a lot of coaches where it's kind of like hey this is kind of what we're doing they're more like hey come here and we're doing this and if you have some input here, give it. But I do feel like people sometimes overstate that. But I haven't really ever thought about the potential that Stan Van Gundy maybe really didn't want to do that trade, and that's actually an interesting angle potentially to think about if he really was like, no, no, I don't want to do this, and they did it anyways. And that would also, I wonder how that would just that's just that's just something that I hadn't really thought of before.
1: But um, I will say, not not to interrupt you, but I will say that. I think, yeah. Uh, I think that there have been a lot of people who have said, "Oh, well, maybe if Stan weren't the GM as well, he would do better as coach." Stan has always said that that uh, that Bauer comes to him with the trade ideas, and he says yes or no. Um, but I think that Bauer was given a blueprint as to you know what to pursue, and I think Van Gundy had had a, had a decent degree of input as to what he would like to see the team look like. And uh, oh yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, as far I as definitely. As the trade goes,
0: yeah, I definitely think that Stan Van Gundy has a lot of impact on how the team has gone. Just I think some like you said, you know, it's not like Stan Van Gundy is the one doing all of the negotiations and all of this other stuff. Like I think it's very much so Jeff Bauer is doing most of that and then, you know, they just sort of like, Hey, just say no, Stan, this is what's going on, this is cool with you and Stan's like, Yeah, that's cool with me or no, that's not cool with me, but keep going with whatever you're saying.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that I, I would be very unsurprised to find out that Stan Van Gundy argued against making this trade. As far as I can tell, just that the, the primary prerogative was just to get a star. Uh, and that's as much as he said in that interview as well. He just said, well, a star like Blake Griffin is available. You know, you get him. And, uh, you know, that's like taken completely irrespective of any other basketball concerns. That's not really done very often. You know, that's it's just poor practice uh, to, to not think about actual basketball concerns when making a trade so that's why I, I, don't, I don't think it was him i don't think that van gundy as much as people want to say well van gundy is desperate to save his job i don't think van gundy is desperate to save his job you know, did so you, he, he um, seems to me like a pretty did you? S- seems to me like a pretty proud guy yeah i you know, gonna say I, I don't agree with what he does but he strikes me as a number one as a pretty proud guy who's gonna say well i want to do things this way and if it's uh if it's not going to work out and you don't want that then you know we'll move on and he said this is his last job
0: yeah. Uh, did you paid um? For it. Did
1: you see uh, his post game press conference last night? <laughs> no, I yeah. stopped watching those because uh, it was just over and over again. And for a win, he's very complimentary. The player is great. For a loss, it's well, I don't know why it's working, or I have to be better. Which was followed inevitably by no change is being made. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. Um. Well, less. so obviously they talked to um, they talked to Tom Gore's because he was at the game last night, and this is getting a little bit out of our order, but whatever. Um, and they talked to Tom Gores about Stan Van Gundy's future and he sort of gave, and he sort of, Tom Gores is not exactly, you know, one thing that you can see very quickly is you get why Tom Gores and Stan Van Gundy seem to, you know, like each other. Neither of them really have a lot of interest in playing politics. They just sort of go up and they say what they think for the most part. Tom Gores was like, you know, I think the guys are working hard and such, but we haven't won enough games. So we'll have to talk about it when the season's over. And so, you know, that's sort of like, and from a lot of owners, I would be more like, oh my gosh, he just threw him under the bus. But because it's Tom Gores, we know that he's just kind of, he's just kind of saying whatever comes to mind. I think he actually is just saying, you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes and we'll talk about it when the season's over. But regardless, um, obviously that's what a lot of the post-game press conference ended up being about was people asking Stan about that. And Sam was, he was completely up front. He's all like, look, I'm not worried about that decision I've made. You know, maybe if I was a second-year head coach and I had young kids and I wasn't financially sad or this, that, and the other thing, I'd be, but I've I've been in this league for like, you know, 20-some years. I've made a ton of money if I, if I, if I'm not coaching here next year, I'm not going to worry about it at all. You can find me on my lake here or on my porch in Florida. <laughs> he literally said that. Like he, so yeah. you are absolutely right about that. Um, I do yeah, not I think, think that yeah. he's like, I, he wants to coach here. He wants to succeed here. I think that's definitely the case. He, obviously he's a guy, you know, you can fault him for a lot of things. I think desire to succeed in sort of competitiveness would not be one of them he's he's a guy who is a tireless worker and he is really a competitor even if you disagree with what he ends up doing with that work but um I definitely agree with you on that this was he was not going to do anything like oh I'm so desperate to save my job so I'm going to desperately try and do something crazy I think he very much was like this is my vision this is what we want to do and we're going to stay this course and if that's what they want to have happen then that's what they want to have happen and if that's not what Tom Gores wants, then so be it. And that's going to be it. And he pretty much said as much in the post-game press conference last night. So
1: Yeah, I think uh, I would be very unsurprised to find out that we'll never hear about this probably, uh, if it did happen, that he argued against the trade. But uh, at the same time, I think that... Um, I don't think Stan Van Gundy is really the kind of guy to like, uh, you know, some general managers do, who say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not willing to go along with this, and basically you know, dare Tom Gore has to fire him, uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there, there are undoubtedly some coaches, some GMs who would, you know, who would say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not doing this, yeah. and... Uh, Jerry West and, is pretty you know, famous
0: for doing that several times, where he's threatened to... Jerry West is, he's uh, never yeah. been, like, an outright GM, but or maybe he has way back in the day, but regardless, he's pretty famous as a guy who's on several occasions has said, if you do this straight most recently, most famously, um, he told the Warriors that if they traded yeah. Clay Thompson for Kevin Love, he would quit on the spot. And yeah, I agree that. I don't think
1: Stan Van Gundy's that sort of a guy, but
0: yeah. Well,
1: I think that's too bad. Um, what I will say that I, that, uh, I will say in this case, uh, just following it up, uh, just being it up briefly is that, um, I do think that uh, that it ended up being Griffin because Van Gundy was told trade for a star. And uh, honestly, Tom Gorez's reaction sort of mirrored that of Mikhail Prokhorov when the Nets made that horrible trade way back. But it's like, this is awesome. You know, the basketball got smiled on us. We're going to win. Uh, you know, another interfering owner. I mean, Progarov caused a lot of damage over there. though so he's going to make a killing selling that team whenever it happens. I don't think it has already. But, um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, it had come out that the Pistons had already tried to trade for Kemba. uh, offering Tobias in a first, uh, you know, also not an ideal trade. Uh, less, you know, less in my opinion, uh, you know, more ideal than, than the trade that ended up happening, but still very much not ideal because we've doubled up on point guards. Kemba only has a year left in his contract. Uh, and, uh, you know, it would have been a trade made just purely for the short term, like maybe make playoffs and have a big name and an excited player on the court. So uh, I think it's entirely possible that Blake was simply the only star who was reasonably available to the Pistons. who honestly just didn't have any assets to part with. Um, and I do think what uh, you know, what is on Stan Van Gundy is he got taken to the cleaners. Mm. Uh, the Clippers wanted to get rid of Blake Griffin's contract. They had buyer's remorse. Uh, they decided to go a different way. This was, uh, you know, this was Ballmer in parts. Jerry West, of course, is famous for building great teams. Uh, he, was, he was very much a voice behind this. And Griffin uh, had an expensive contract, he was injury-prone, and also they just, they noticed that, you know, they recognized that with him on at the team was uh, was was going to be held back in certain ways as far as modernization went. Uh, you know, what they what Ballmer named, uh, number one is overlap between expensive players, you know, in their case, DeAndre, who's going to be a free agent and Blake, but also Blake occupies a role as a bit of a tweener. He doesn't have the skill set of a modern forward, modern power forward. Modern power forward is very athletic, can score from anywhere. Uh, he's got, you know, more approaching the skill set of a center who primarily works down low, uh, but, uh, you know, he's not a center. He can't, can't play center well. We've, we saw that. He's a terrible defender at center. And uh, so I think they recognize that just to modernize the team, you got to move on from Blake Griffin. Also, you're clearing a lot of cap space uh, on a contract from a guy who may, you know, who is, who is health-wise on the downswing and has been for some time, and you never know, you know, if he, if he gets injured, course your team is screwed because you basically have to build it around him so the clippers are more than happy to get rid of this contract and the the pistons paid them handsomely to improve their team uh you know the clippers made out like bandits they are a better team without blake they've been doing well deandre jordan is free to just patrol the paint on his own and uh you know and maximize his own skill set which a traditional center you've got to do that in today's nba because they can't shoot you gotta really put them in a proper position to be valuable. Uh, they've got an additional outside shooter and Harris. <clears throat> just the team, you know, they, they open up minutes for Harrell. Uh, the team is just better. And basically the Pistons paid to inherit the Clippers issues to a greater degree because Griffin uh, you know, is even more ill-fitting now with Drummond than he was with Jordan. People say, oh, he played with Jordan for a while. Well, that wasn't ideal. It was never ideal. And over the last three years it's become that much less ideal. Uh, because you want to have as many shooters on the floor as you can, really. So I think Van Gundy let himself be taken absolutely to the cleaners. And I think it was Griffin, because Griffin was the only reasonable... He was the only buddy, the only person who was reasonably available, but the fans who looked at it like, oh, awesome, getting Blake Griffin, superstar, they have stopped to think of why the Clippers were so ready to get rid of him. Um, but, I, I mean, I honestly think, you know, there's been word that to Tobias and Bradley in the first was the opening offer. And I think the Pistons... Really could have paid a whole lot less, but I think, you know, I think that, uh, I think that's, um, uh, whether Van Gundy just wasn't willing to negotiate, uh, you know, which just was decided to bid high first, or Boris said, you know, we want to get this guy as soon as possible before somebody else does to make this playoff push.
0: Um, you know, the Pistons got
1: taken to the cleaners, and I do put that on Van Gundy, even though I don't think it was his idea for the trade. I think that, uh, T let the Pistons get shell. And that sucks. This team couldn't afford to give a first round draft or any shooting.
0: Hmm.
1: So, um, yeah. well, okay. So that's your thing. Um, the main things that
0: I would disagree with you with are first off, um, just as Blake is a player, I think very highly of him. Um, he has his flaws, but I think that he is. I to me, the worry is so like first off, like you said, everybody has to agree that's a huge contract and. You know, no mat- honestly, no matter who you're giving it to, okay, if you're, you could be giving that contract to Jesus Christ, right, <laughs> and if there's any threat that Jesus Christ could get hurt or get worse as a player, right, there's, you have to be worried about that just in general, just paying one guy that much money is not ideal, I think. Um, you know, there's guys where it's worth it. It's like, obviously, like, prime LeBron James would be 100% worth that contract, right? There's no denying it. But even for that, you still have to think about, like, if this dude gets hurt, you are screwed. Like, that's just the reality. You cannot build a team that is not completely centered around that guy at that point on that contract. And then also combined with that is the fact that he does have some injury history, which is worrying. Um, but Blake is a player though. I think very highly of him. I think much higher of him than you do. Um, I think he is, he, I think he is every bit as good as anybody would think he is. Um, I do not think he's declined anywhere near as much as a lot of people seem to. Um, like people bring up, oh, well, he's not as able, able to jump as high as he was when he was 22. And it's like, that's true of like every guy, like as you get older, and get into your 20s, like, you get bigger, you get stronger. Like, guys are pretty consistently at their springiest when they're, you know, in their teens and early 20s. So that's not a huge concern. He can still get up. He can still do it when he has to. Um, but just in general, like, he's a dude who's he's huge, and he's a great passer. Like, Blake Griffin is a legitimately brilliant passer. And I think that, you know, and this is also one thing that I think a lot of people have expressed concern, well, you're going to be paying him that much money when he's 32, First off is that like he's gonna be thirty-two in the last year of that contract, not like thirty-six, So that's one thing. But also is that I actually think his game is going to not age nearly as poorly as a lot of people think seem to think. Like I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not gonna he's not gonna be Dirk Nowitzki. But like I mean there's an extent to which and this is something that's true of like LeBron James when people talk about him getting older, is that Blake Griffin is huge and he is a great passer he will be able to back Fools down and do things in the post until he's 50 at the local Y, you know? So that's one thing that I think about that. Um, another thing that I disagree with you is that I don't think um, that the Clippers were as eager to get rid of Blake as you seem to think. I definitely disagree with that. That was the opening offer. Um, both sides have said that they talked for like two weeks leading up to the trade actually happening. Um, right when it happened, there were multiple reports. I think Adrian Wojnarowski even said it, So, which, although I don't remember for sure. I won't say that because I don't remember for sure if he's the one who said it. But there were multiple people who said that the Clippers really wanted to try and get Luke Kennard, but the Pistons would not budge on that. Um, so I think that the Clippers were looking for a very specific, because they said as much afterwards even, um, they were looking for a specific sort of deal for Blake where they could sort of set themselves up to retool, rebuild, but without bottoming out, right? So, like, they didn't want to just take on a bunch of picks for Blake because then they'd be a bad team. They wanted to get back players that could let them stay competitive now while giving them an option to retool, rebuild the team going forward. So, like, that's one of the reasons why they turned around and then after trading Blake, they re-signed Ble- um, Lou Williams to a contract, is that they didn't they don't have any interest in bottoming out the team, so I think they were looking for a very specific sort of deal for Blake Griffin. And the Pistons were the ones who were able to give it. Um, I think the biggest mistake, not necessarily a mistake, but the biggest cost the Pistons gave up is that they're now locked in to contract money long-term and that first-round pick. And that's something that pretty much a lot of people said right away when the trade happened is that the pick is a loss that you don't want to lose, obviously. But I think that the Clippers were going to take a young asset. They were not doing that without a young asset one way or another. Whether that's a pick, whether that's Luke Kennard, maybe they would have taken Stanley Johnson, who knows for sure. But I think they are going to give up one of – they were going to get something like that. And personally, I'd actually – no, I'm. I'm not a huge college basketball guy. I don't know that much about a lot of the players. But from my very basic understanding – I honestly think I'd rather have Luke Kennard than this year's first-round pick. Um, So if you're going to pick one of those two, I'd rather give up the first-round pick for this year than Luke Kennard. I really like Luke Kennard, though. Admittedly, I like him more than a lot of people do. Um, Yeah, the most basic thing I disagree with you, though, is that I I really think highly of Blake Griffin. And um, I actually somewhat agree with the basic idea that when a guy that good is available, you at least try and get him. I think he's every bit that good. The worry and the, the potential downside to this is not that Blake Griffin is not a good enough player, or even that he's a bad fit, because in my, it is sort of one of my basketball ideologies, talent fits. You know, you have great players, they fit together, and the Pistons have two guys on their team who are really, really good players. Whatever sort of you know, term you want to use Some people say, oh, superstar, all-star, star, whatever the term, whatever top, you know, insert arbitrary number of guys here. They've got two of those guys hypothetically now. And I think that's sort of a prerequisite to really building a real team. And it's a risk. It's going to be hard to do so. Um, it's going to be a real challenge, which the Pistons have already experienced. It's going to be a challenge to fit the right wing talent at the shooting guard and small forward spots, because it's hard to have guys that are not two-way players at those two positions because, and once again, they've already experienced this, is that with Stanley Johnson on the floor, they've really struggled to score the ball while Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond are on the floor, which makes sense. You have three guys who are not shooting um, off four because of Ish Smith, um, which makes sense. But then the problem is when they don't have Stanley Johnson on the floor with those two, they've really struggled to defend at a level to make it really work. And that is going to be a challenge, and it's going to be a problem. Um... But they were going to have a challenge and a problem to build a long-term winner before this trade. I think the biggest reason um, why you would have wanted to be against this trade, and you sort of voiced this, is basically that you, you're you not overly confident in this current core, basically. And so then, because so like you said, so Avery Bradley would have been, even if they don't trade him, Avery Bradley's a free agent after this year. Bias Harris has one more year. Ish Smith has one more year. John Luer has two more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of things set up so that if the Pistons had stuck with their current iteration without making this big trade, they could have given it another year, another year or two, and then they could have totally redone the team pretty much. Like you said, it, before they re signed people and such, of course, they would have had like 28 ish million, give or take some, um, to do things with. And that's no longer an option. Now, this is the team. They can't, you know, unless they make another really radical change, which I don't foresee, at least um, player-wise, um, there's this is the team. They're not going to be able to bottom out and tank. They're not going to be really retooling. Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond are the cornerstone are the for the next four years, and you have to build around them. That's not, you know, and if you didn't really believe in the basis of, Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson, and this team before, um, then I, you know, I get that, Um, and also just in general, you wanted to be able to retool, and so it is a risk, and I get that. As far as the trade specifically, that's one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge fan of it. I was sort of a tentatively, like, I'm mostly okay with it, but I was certainly not a, there were some people who were like, oh my gosh, this is great, Blake Griffin is great, and I think Blake Griffin is great, but you did give up a first round pick. Tobias Harris is a good player. I actually didn't think of as lowly of Avery Bradley as a lot of people did too. Um, and once again, now you're locked in. So it's like you better. I think that long term Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond will work just fine. I don't. I'm not on the same page with you about a lot of that stuff where Blake Griffin just isn't a good fit with this team and it's not going to work because of that. I actually think that actually isn't so much a worry for me. But even with that. <laughs> You better hope that you're right about, you know, so it's like, if I'm Stan Van Gundy, and let's just say he actually was in favor of the trade, okay? And he's sitting there, he's like, I'm very confident that Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond can work together. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan worked well together. They had an offensive efficiency of 108.1, I think, together this year while they're on the floor together. That's a really good offense. You can make that work. They'll be fine. Obviously, there are other things and there because there's three other guys on the court. But we'll just... We'll just put that to the side for the moment because I'm trying to make a point. I got a narrative to push, after all. Um, <laughs> but so, basically, you sit there and you think, okay, I'm absolutely confident that this is good, that these two can work together et cetera, and we can build a team around these two guys. Even if you are absolutely confident in that, even more confident than I am, you best hope you're right because if you end up being wrong, you're screwed. And I think, you know, it's like for you and the way you're looking at it is that you're actually not only... Are you kind of like, yeah, I think that they might be wrong. You're pretty confident they're wrong. And if you, you know, when you're at that point, it's like, yeah, they're screwed. Because if Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond do not work together, they are pretty much screwed. And that's a scary thing to think about. Whereas if the current iteration of the team before the trade continued to not work out, they were not screwed long term. They probably would have had another year where they would have been bad. But after that, you can retool, you can do different things and such. Now that's not really an option. You have to hope that they can figure it out one way or another, and that's a somewhat scary thing to do. It's not necessarily the ideal place, but at a basic sense, the reason in the end why I was mostly in favor of it is that I do think very highly of Blake Griffin. I think that he's the caliber of player that he makes a difference, you know, and there's all sorts of people who say it in their own ways, you know, there's insert arbitrary number there's this many guys in the league that really matter and really make a difference I think Blake Griffin is one of those guys and so I think that you do that um and once again it's going to be a challenge Blake Griffin has injury problems if those flare up and if they get even worse than they were before this is going to be a disaster if it ends up being like you said that um Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond just they're not a good fit together it's different from DeAndre Jordan etc cetera, etc cetera and they're not going to work together, and Blake Griffin is an antique who doesn't fit in the modern NBA. If that's the truth, it's going to be a total disaster, and the team's going to be awful for a long time, right? That is all 100% true, and those are all the reasons why I come away saying, like, yeah, even if I'm mostly okay with it because I think really highly of Blake Griffin, it's definitely a risk because you're stuck with this team now going forwards. Um and yeah, so that's kind of what I'll say. If you want to say something else, I mean, you can, although I think we mostly have both kind of given our spiel. And we we talked beforehand that we don't want this to become like a an episode of hot take where we just start arguing back and forth. But if you'd like to say oh, something else yeah. after that, you can, but we're then, then after you say your bit, then we'll move on. But, so you can say no, something I've, else if
1: you want. I got plenty more to say about it. I mean, I'm of the opinion that on the surface, this trade, uh, you know, I've gone over the general reasons why this trade is bad. Um, you know, along the same lines is that, um, you know, when you sum up the Pistons' typical position, uh, you know, not typical, excuse me, general position, it looks bad. Uh, and people say, oh, well, it's not that bad. And you got a lot of fans and a lot of analysts who say, you know, most recently, Zach Lowe, I mean, I don't, of course, consider analysts the gospel, um, who say, well, yeah, it really actually is that bad. And the deeper you look into it, the worse it gets. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, um, you know, to respond to you, no particular order. Uh, I don't agree that talent fits anywhere. Uh, certain talent does. Wing talent, great. Like this week's true difference makers. Uh, James Harden, uh, you know, not only wings, but uh, you know, James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, the Greek freak, you know, to an extent, guys like Jimmy Butler, uh, or, you know, your great point guards, you can insert, they'll have an, an instant impact. So, hopefully not playing them next to another good point guard, but, uh, you know, but wings can do anything. You know, you're seeing the advent of wing like power forwards. Uh, you know, Tobias Harris is one, guys who are just, who are not necessarily big anymore, but they're real quick, very athletic, and can shoot from anywhere. Kevin Durant weighs the majority of his minute power forward. There are guys who fit everywhere, there are also guys who don't necessarily fit everywhere. And uh, those are big men, and uh, particularly big men uh, who can't, you know, who are not modern. Uh, Blake Griffin is not a good uh, is not a good scorer from range. Uh, this is has uh, been a common misconception about him that oh Blake has a great mid range game. Blake has a terrible mid range game. He has been horrible throughout his career from mid range. Uh, like to the extent where it is very very much better as Doc Rivers said be- before the game between the Pistons and the Clippers, you just back off, protect the paint, give him a shot. Uh, <clears throat> on his best year, like his actual best year, uh, he averaged uh, in the, the low 40s from mid range on. Wide open shots. Uh that is a shot you give him at around, you know, like 0.85 points per possession, you'll let him take it because it's it makes perfect sense. Just let him take that shot as much as he wants. Uh from three point range, it's uh, you know, he's he's getting but for what he's paid, he is still nowhere near good enough. Like uh of of all power forwards who are paid up to half his salary, only Draymond is not a good scorer. Uh, from outside of the paint, and Draymond fits perfectly on his own team. He just plays, you know, all world defense, and uh, and you know, he's a. I think it's safe to say he's a better passer than Blake. I mean, he is a, he's a oh, fantastic ooh, passer. Ooh, yeah, ooh. I disagree with that, but go on. Uh, well, we're not we're not going to be first. I'd, I'd say at least as good, um, in my opinion. Uh, but he fits perfectly on that team. I mean, as much as some people, I've seen the argument made. Oh well, the Warriors only ice three shooters, and it's like. Like, well, dude, Steph Curry, best shooter ever. Yeah, Kevin that's Durant, a, one of the best shooters yeah. ever. Clay anyone, Thompson, anyone UFC who says say that, I agree. like, it's different yeah. when
0: it's Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not exactly. the same thing as
1: putting out James Ennis, Reggie Bullock, and Langston Galloway. <laughs> True. So, but you know, it's such an essential skill to be able to shoot these days to the point where you're having teams that are icing five. You know, not icing. Excuse me, old hockey lingo, but are fielding five shooters. Uh, you know, and it's, it's definitely, you don't want to have any less than four on the floor. That's why Stanley Johnson and, and Andre couldn't really play together earlier in the season because that meant two non-shooters on the floor. Well, now you're guaranteed two non-shooters on the floor. Uh, worse than that, they're both, uh, not non-shooters, but guys who are not efficient shooters. And one of them is paid an obnoxious amount of money and the other one has paid quite a bit of money too. Uh, and there's a reason you know this, this 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 is an NBA where where point guards and wings are the elite players. Your big men can still be useful, but they're really unlikely to be the real difference makers. Uh, so you really don't see this kind of big man combo put together at all in the NBA these days. Uh, you know the the combo of two non-shooting, uh, two two big men who can't really shoot. You see combos. Uh, You know, you see heavy investiture and big men from the lower tier of the league. Nobody in the upper tiers of this week does this. Uh, The other comparable examples, Bilsap and Jokic, uh, to an extent. uh, Let's see who else. I'm missing somebody. Uh, Oh, yeah, Cousins and Davis, to an extent. These aren't ideal pairings. These are, let's see how this goes from teams that uh, are struggling to even make the playoffs. And just, you know. They want to see if it works. It's, it's the best, the most ideal option. Cousins was available uh, for a very reasonable price. He's one of the better players in the league. But the differences remain. Those pairings aren't ideal by any means, investing that much in two big men who are inevitably going to overlap. But they are far better than what the Pistons have. Uh, Jokic is, is a very good outside shooter. Millsap is struggling this year. He's a good outside shooter. Cousins is, uh, is a viable outside shooter. Davis is a viable outside shooter, even if they're not very good at three-point range. Uh, those two also, I've seen them persistently compared. That is an incomparable combo. These guys are both superstars. Anthony Davis, you and I can agree, is an amazing player. Yeah, like, I'd an say. Yeah,
0: the comparisons. Uh, they're the only place where the comparison with the Pelicans makes some sense is that, you know, when they when the Pelicans made the trade for um for Demarcus Cousins, it didn't really work right away because it's like you say you know they're not easy f- pieces to fit. So there's a certain extent to what you can say. Right, the rest of this year, even if it doesn't work well, that's not enough to just ditch it all together. But the one thing, I mean, Anthony Davis is like, that guy is so freaking good. He's the one that makes that different. Like DeMarcus cause well, I love DeMarcus Cousins, but yeah. like Anthony Davis is that level of good that's like, you know, you can't, I wouldn't compare this Pistons duo to the Pelicans duo because I think Anthony Davis is just that guy. He might, I legitimately think Anthony Davis may be like, it's him James Harden, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry—those are the guys. Yeah. like he's,
1: he's still super young, and yeah. the guy managed a thirty player efficiency rating at age twenty-one. Yeah. I mean that guy's—that's
0: another yeah. level. He's we've, so freaking. We've
1: seen, good. yeah, we've seen plenty of that. Cousins is an amazing player too, uh, mm-hmm. but even then, it wasn't an ideal pairing. These guys overlap. It took time to figure it out. Once they did figure it out, they still weren't a great team. Uh, you know, they, they still weren't all that great because. Uh, you know, ultimately their solution was, uh, you know, we'll stagger them so that one is on the floor, the, you know, at all times. And it's like, well, that's viable, but it's not ideal to have to stagger your best players. The Pistons tried it. It's, you know, just the, the reality is that their skill sets do not mesh very much. They both don't really like to shoot at the three point line. They both like to operate down low, but they're, they're, you know, they're nonetheless much more fitting together because they can both
0: shoot. Well, another thing with the Pelicans, with them not being that great of a team, first off, they were starting to show some... They were starting to gel when DeMarcus Cousins got hurt, which was really one of the things that sucked the most about it. I love DeMarcus Cousins, so I watched a lot of Pelicans games. I watched a lot of Kings games before. They really were starting to play better. But one thing worth mentioning, they, like, after Drew Holiday, they feel like a borderline G League team beyond those two. And no, that is one of the worries of like, well, you're paying these two guys this much money, so and that's something the Pistons will have to try and avoid. But I would say, at least at the current time, the Pistons have not nearly as like comically bad um, players at other positions. That's just one thing worth mentioning there. But sorry, keep going.
1: It is worth mentioning at the same time since DeMarcus Cousins went down and Nikola Mirotic has gone on the line of the Pelicans, but one of the hottest teams in the league. Anthony Davis has been arguably the best player in the league. They've been playing way better without DeMarcus Cousins, so that kind of gives a lie to the idea that that was necessarily even an ideal pairing, uh, because now you have you got Davis surrounded by shooters. He's got a great shooter of power forward. Uh, Miritich doesn't occupy any space in the paint. Davis is free to just basically have uh, the interior to himself, and he is destroying everyone. I mean, it is terrifying. He's he's had an absolutely ridiculous month uh, without you know since since DeMarcus you know since uh, since they got and since they lost Cousins. He's been completely and utterly absurd, and that's, <clears throat> that ties in. It's like these two things. Number one, investing in a big-man combo is the greatest idea these days. I mean, teams rarely do it. Investing in a, in a big-man duo of non-shooters, we haven't seen that in a long time, and it hasn't worked in goodness knows how long. And when it has worked, it's just because there's been a, a ludicrous amount of talent involved. I mean, only the Spurs. The Spurs are an anomaly. Greg Popovich is the best coach of all time. Tim Duncan arguably the best power forward of all time. Even then, it's not really necessarily very comparable. But that's where it comes in, the overlap. The Pistons have this excruciating overlap between Drummond and Griffin. Uh these are both players that need to be built around. Uh, Drummond needs to have four shooters around him. And in the modern MBA, his even you know, even three years ago this was the case that, you know, in order to get maximum value from this traditional center, you gotta surround him with the shooters, space the floor, and leave him to just dominate the paint. Because if you put somebody else in the paint, he becomes a whole lot less useful. Uh, it's harder from the score. Uh, it's just skill overlap, honestly, and you'd rather spend that money elsewhere. You're already strong in rebounding with Andre Drummond. You're already strong below the net with Andre Drummond. <clears throat> and uh, so you really have to build around them. And Van Gundy had finally succeeded in, in doing fairly well at that this year. You know, you had, you had Jackson, you had Bullock, uh, you had Harris, and uh, you had, uh, you know, Bradley, who was still good as a spot-up shooter. And uh, whereas the Pistons teams the past two years were disastrous, they had like they had between the two of them literally four above-average uh, three-point shooters. Just absolutely failure of management. But um, and that is is two each season. So uh, suddenly you bring in another big guy. Uh, you bring in a ball-dominant big guy who really primarily operates down low, and uh, the overlap is real. That overlap makes both of them less valuable. That is the big trouble. If you got two guys on the wing, we're both great shooters, then, you know, great shooting guard and a great small forward. It's like, awesome. These guys, you know, shooting, you can never have too much shooting. These guys aren't going to overlap. You know, uh, if, if one guy gets, you know, it's, it's getting really focused on the other guys open and you can't have too much shooting. In the day the day. Uh, you know, three point attempt rate is skyrocketing three point, uh, you know, efficiency is skyrocketing, skyrocketing as a result. Um, uh, you know, highest effective field goal percentage of league history because, you know, the three is, you know, it, it's as, I think it was Mike Breen said this last night in the Houston game. He said, well, the, the their general philosophy is that three is greater than two. And uh, you can shoot 36% three, that's 54% effective field goal percentage. Good luck getting that mid-range, for example. Uh, so it's a, it's a pairing that's not only missing an essential skill, but... Uh, they both like to operate down low. Uh, you know, there are similar issues as to what they have with Greg Monroe. And honestly, uh, the skill set difference between, between Griffin and Monroe, aside from the outside shooting that Blake does have now, which is not great, is not tremendous. They both operate down low. They're both very good post-playmakers. Griffin is, of course, far better. But um, but I think the Pistons went pretty significantly back in that direction of Monroe Drum and Aaron, which sucked. I mean, it was not ideal for anybody. We knew it... Uh, it knew it. starts. Van Gundy wanted to get rid of them. Everybody knew it. <clears throat> so, I'd say that you brought in a pairing it and they reduced the value of each other. Uh, there's an additional consideration. Drummond finally had this role, in which he was doing well. Uh, Drummond and DeAndre are not the same player. DeAndre's never had trouble with effort. He was content to just kind of sit off on the periphery and just gobble a rebound, dunk lob, whatnot. Uh, Andre wants to be involved, uh, you know, one way or another. Whether it's post-playmaking, excuse me, whether it's his horrible post-hooks, which he demanded if he wasn't getting anything else, uh, or playing secondary playmaker at the point, which is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, you keep him engaged. And if Andre is playing at 100% efforts, he will do well. Uh, you know, other circumstances will help, again, being surrounded by shooters. But uh, that's a big deal. And number two, it lets him contribute beyond just hanging out in the paint. It, you got to maximize the, the contributions of the traditional centers, who were really a dying breed. if They can still be very effective, but only in the right conditions. Now, Blake comes in, he gets booted out of that role. So how are we going to get maximum contribution from Andre, and how are we going to keep him uh, happy? Now, you say Blake, I know I'm droning on a bit here. I think I'm almost done. You say Blake is a great playmaker. That's true. You look at his number of assists. Uh, well, Andre's assists uh, total, is guns plummeted. So he's booted from that role. He's less than half. He was averaging, after Jackson injury, I think 4.6 assists per game. Tobias Harris was averaging 2.7. He was on the upswing. You put those two together... Uh, that's, uh, you know, you take those 2.6 away from Andre, who's averaged 1.9 since that's 5.2. I've has his average 6.9. Sure. That's like a slight, uh, slight increase, but, uh, honestly, it's been more of a redistribution than an addition. People thought, oh, these guys are great playmakers. They're going to go an additive effect. It doesn't work that way. You know, you can't have two big men both making plays. So what Blake adds, a lot of it, he takes, he, he, he adds by taking away from Andre. So, you got two guys who have to be built around, and you can't do that. Now, you can't put shooters around them either. Uh, you know, you, you want to get maximum value from your talent. And, uh, and that means maximizing the value of all of it. I and mean, when you have two guys bring the same skills, operate in the same area, it's a problem. And just, you know, the last thing I'll say on it is, you know, they started that day somewhat short on shooting, uh, pretty strong in rebounding, best rebounder in the league, very strong in the paint. You know, Andre was a high efficiency scorer. Um, and, uh, you know, they ended that day desperately short on shooting and stronger in the paint, stronger in rebounding. Uh, it was a Josh Smith sort of situation. I don't like making that comparison. And Griffin is a far better player. But Smith was considered a catch. But people knew that his fit was, you know, his value was going to be extremely fit dependent. And he was a terrible fit on the pistons. Uh, and Griffin is highly fit dependent. And, uh, that's when talent depends on fit for these max players, particularly. So, you know, I
0: could go on about this for a very long time. We could both, we could, let's just be honest. We could go back and forth on this for a really long time, but I think that we we both pretty much said what we wanted to say. We can agree to disagree. Um, there's one point that I want to bring up. I have written down. I totally forgot to say it. Um, is that I don't think that it now, like you said, if they'd actually been on a 10-game winning streak, they prob- I'd be surprised if they make the move. But I don't think that it was a panic move by the Pistons. Um, they've been very open about the fact that they've been, now, certainly not as successful um, unless something changes. And I, even someone who mostly likes to trade like me, unless something radically changes, it will be less successful. But they were kind of trying to follow something akin to the Houston Rockets model of, we're just going to get assets, get assets, and eventually we'll trade one for trade them for a star. This has been, you know, even if this is not the ideal one, whatever, et cetera, that's not even, this is something that they've been very open about. This is what the end goal was. This is why they made all of these other moves and such, was so as they could try and flip them into a star while still not being terrible in the moment. So it's like, we're building a team that we hope can win now, but then we're hoping that we can get enough pieces to make a move like that. So that's just one thing I wanted to throw out there. But that's enough on that. We've made the points we wanted to make there, I think. Um, so next up is just sort of, for the rest of this season, um, obviously there's, what, 16 games left, I believe? Uh, yeah, the last 17. game was... 17, I believe, but I could be wrong. Yeah, 16 or 17, whatever. doesn't really matter that much. Um, just sort of, what do you hope to see... The rest of the season, um, if anything, uh, you know whether it's you know the team accomplishing something, whether it's certain players accomplishing something a certain way that they play, et cetera, et cetera. And you can go first on that.
1: Uh, <clears throat> well, I would like to see the young players get as much play as they get. I mean, this team wasn't desperate. I mean, it was a team that was going to be a, a slightly below the cap, uh, but not by much. So very close to the salary cap, even if they did keep Bradley. <clears throat> And, you know, it was a team from the very beginning that really had just desperately needed to develop young talents. Uh, like, that's, that's why the, the choice of Luke Kennard in the draft is puzzling. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't recognize it back then. I wasn't very familiar with the draft. But honestly, the Pistons could afford to go with the low-ceiling player. And I think we can agree that if we had gotten Don Mitchell, the team would not have Blake Griffin on it. <laughs> um, uh, because that's the potential franchise player uh, that everybody wants. He's charismatic. He's exciting. Uh everybody loves the guy. Uh exactly that's exactly Pistons needed. But see now with now that they're, you know now that they're straddling the luxury threshold, um, they desperately need to have this young talent work out. Uh, you know, Stanley has shown flashes, he needs his fixed shot. I think very highly of Stanley. I think he's got a lot of potential to be uh you know, he's he's got a great deal of potential. Uh and if he can get a shot working, he can be he can be the sort of Swiss Army knife player that everybody wants and you know, possibly in the future, possibly the face of the French. Get right? a very high ceiling. Um uh, but you need to get as much as you can out of Luke Nard. You need to get as much as you can out of Henry Ellinson. Looks like garbage right now. Uh you gotta get them as much play as you can. You know, there's still some pretense about just making the playoffs. Theoretically possible, mathematically incredibly unlikely. Uh I think I think you know they feel right now that they just can't they can't just throw in the towel exactly what, uh, you know, I think they should throw the towel in on Jackson. Doris and Van Gundy have already said he's going to be back. Like, this is not in the interest of, in the, interest of the franchise, Freddy Freddie Jackson to rush back at all. Um, so what I'd like to see, uh, I would like to see new things tried, new things experimented with. I would like to see the young guys played as much as they can. Uh, and I would like to see things done with an eye toward next season. And, um, who knows what it'll take. I mean, if Pistons lose, you know, they're about to go on a very difficult road trip. Uh, I don't remember if they're playing next, uh, but if they lose three of the next five games, basically over, um, you know, then it will be, you know, it's the chance it's become dimmer by the day. I mean, a lot of, not already, and that, that might not be unreasonable. <clears throat> Probably as reasonable, unfortunately. So, yeah, I just, I'd like to see things done with an eye toward next season. And uh, then, uh, you know, I'll post a list of all of the, you know, the known deities human beings have ever prayed to in the history of mankind and everybody <laughs> can select one and uh, pray eventually for good luck on, uh, on on draft night and and hope that uh, we luck into one of the top three picks. Uh, that would be a game changer. And this franchise like God we desperately needs that it has not had a, a just absolutely ridiculously needs that. Uh, so that that's what I would like to see this season. Okay. Uh, Um, you know, if if, if people could pray, you know, could also pray to, uh, you know, to, uh, I don't really care to like, you know, whoever whoever the Greek God of, you know, whoever the Greek God of healing was, uh, that's that, that Jackson and Griffin remain healthy because that's another thing. We now have two incredibly injury prone players on the, the franchise is absolutely defended. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, um one thing that we definitely agree on is I'm also very high on Stanley Johnson, so we got something there, my man. <laughs> um for the rest of the season, I would I don't think that they should throw in that the towel yet. Like you said, look, it is a very long chance that they make the playoffs at this point. Um I said as much in one of my game recaps, I think it was two games ago, that's like, look, they're pretty much out of it. I'm not gonna stress every single game with that every loss is made, is shrinking that hope even more. Um, but the reality is sort of, and this is what I figured at, at coming out of the all-star break is that, um, for them to make the playoffs, I've kind of assumed they would have to get to 42 wins at least. Um, and honestly, with the way some of the other teams have been playing, that even may not be enough, but I think to have any hope, and no matter what, one of the teams ahead of them is going to have to, um, s- sort of borderline implode down the stretch, but, I mean, that does happen. But, regardless, I'm assuming 42 wins is what they would have to get at least, which would mean, so there's 16 games left, so they'd have to go 12-4. and four. Um, Look, there's a lot of road games, but the Pistons are not playing a huge amount of really good teams. So, the really, we're going to know if they have a chance or not, like you said, right away on this road trip. They're going to go to Utah, Denver, and Portland for three games. And there's two different reasons why we're going to know if they they have a chance or not from that. First off, because, so, once again, theoretically, they've got four losses the rest of the year that they can have, okay? If they lose all three of those, that's three losses. Now they can have one more (laughs) over the final 13 games. And they do play Houston yet this year. So they're, (laughs) you know, so in a basic sense, the math doesn't work. But also is that if they're going to be a good enough team to go on that sort of a run down the stretch. So what, no matter what it would be, let's just say theoretically, Reggie Jackson comes back, which is still tentatively the hope that he comes back, although they're going to try and have him practice. We'll see how that goes. But so let's just say theoretically, Reggie Jackson comes back. He looks great. He looks as good as he's ever been. And it really does make a difference. And they, and they win those three games. Okay. Then it's like, okay, something's changed. This team may actually be good enough to do this. So it's not just the basic math, it's also that if they want to be a good enough team to have a chance to do that, they have to get at least two of those. But, the rest of the way, they play a lot of bad teams. So if you assume Houston is a loss, probably. Um, and then Washington is good, and Philadelphia is good. All right, Those are the only three teams that are better than them. Other than Toronto, they play in the second to last game of the season, and um, Toronto will hopefully be... Not playing for anything at that point. So another thing for anyone who's hoping for an outside shot of the Pistons make the playoffs, we have to become big Toronto fans the rest of the way and hope that they are sitting all of their guys by that point. But in a theoretical world, after those three games, I mean, really, Houston, Washington, and Philadelphia are the only games that are not against teams that are really bad. Like they play the Knicks, they play the they play Chicago again, they play um, uh, Memphis, Phoenix, Sacramento. So, basically, the hope has to be, then, you win two out of those these next three. So, and that's not easy. Denver's not, Denver is good, Utah is pretty good, and Portland is very good. So, that will not be easy. But, if you win two of those next three, then you can lose games to Houston, you can lose to Washington, and you can lose to Philadelphia, and you could still get to 42 wins. So... It's not totally out of the picture. The main reason why it's kind of out of the picture is that, as you've talked about a lot, is that just in general, the Pistons have not given a whole lot of reason to believe that they will be able to play well enough to do that. Like, I'm pretty sure that they will blow one of those games that they should win just because they've been doing that. So, yeah. But, that said, I'd say that you kind of have to try, at least for the next bit. If they go 0-3 over the next three, then I'd say, okay, throw in the towel. But, yeah. As far as looking to next year, um, I would be less worried about um, playing the young guys and more worried about getting Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond used to playing with each other, keep building chemistry, basically play guys who are going to be here next year. So, we talked about James Ennis a bit, and we'll talk about him more in a little bit, too. But, um, you know, if you don't think you're going to be able to retain James Ennis, which it's not, it's hard to say what he'll end up making. After this year, he'll get a raise almost certainly, but it's not abundantly clear what it will be. But regardless, you have to make a judgment call. If you think you can keep James Ennis next year, then play James Ennis. If you don't think you're keeping James Ennis next year, then don't play him anymore, because that's not going to help you at all, right? Um, So then, And then also, same sort of thing with Anthony Tolliver, is that Anthony Tolliver is going to be a free agent. The Pistons can't really afford to give him a raise. So if you think you can keep him next year, then let him play. If you think Anthony Tolliver is not going to be on the team next year, then play Henry Ellenson, do something else, because you have to look for the future. And um, I do think, now, like you said, there wouldn't be doing anyone any favors for having Reggie Jackson rush back. From my understanding, they have not rushed him back. They have been fairly cautious. But if he's able to play, I think that it is important, even if it ends up only being a few games, I think that it would be good to get some game time with him, Griffin and Drumming cuz like we've said obviously you're much more you're not as optimistic about the potential for that trio as I am. But for better or worse, those are your three guys for at least the next 2 years, right? Cuz Jackson's got two more yeah. Jack yeah, Jackson has two more years. <laughs> so for at least the next 2 years, those three are your guys. And you know, even's like even like I said is that I'm pretty optimistic about those three, but it's still you better hope it works. So, I basically, I think that their chances for winning, for getting into the top three, are going to be very low, even if they win the rest of their, or lose the rest of their games. So, yeah. basically, it's like, I'm not going to tank for that. Like, it just doesn't make sense. I'd rather just say, you know what? Even if this year is lost, these three guys are, this is our team the next two years. So, we better start working on getting these guys used together. Um, and for what it's worth, there's already been some progress in that area. Um, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are still struggling together a bit uh, because they really, with Smith on the floor, it's really hard for them to run pick and rolls together. When they have managed to, it's been okay, but that's one thing that I'd look for going down the stretch. But, um, but like, Blake Griffin and Reggie Bullock have really started to develop a really nice sort of wink-wink two-man game together. That's the sort of thing that you need to keep improving. It's like improve that get that going with other guys get it going with Luke Kennard etc so basically you have to get as close as you can to saying this is what our team is going to be next year and we need to get these guys playing together so that everyone gets used to each other experiment with some things do as much as you can to figure it out now because you need this to work long term you know so like we both said for better or worse i think it'll probably be for better you think it'll be for worse those this is your team so you got to figure it out. And I just don't think there's any chance that they can get their odds of winning the lottery up high enough that that's really oh, no. worth
1: doing I that just, for. I want to, you
0: know, and yeah, everybody pray just, as just, much just, as you can. <laughs> there yeah, is no wanna, way wanna, around I wanna, that.
1: I want to see, I want to, I just, I just want to see something done with an eye toward next season. Oh yeah. It's a little frustrating uh, hearing me talk about developing chemistry between Drummond and Griffin because nobody seems to have any reasonable ideas of how that could happen uh, beyond incredibly generic stuff. Oh, Andre, just play like DeAndre Jordan.
0: Well, I think think there's some things, and they have started to get this going a little bit. They've started to run, um, because the thing that's tricky about them is so people don't really, as we've talked about extensively, right, people don't really respect Blake Griffin's jump shot. And for what it's worth, he's so good in the paint that even if he becomes a good shooter, people are going to go under screens, right? It's like, just like... I'm obviously this is a step above, clearly, but it's like LeBron James is n- is actually a decent shooter. He's not a great one, but he's a decent one. If Blake Griffin became as good a jump shooter as LeBron James, we'd all be pretty thrilled. People still go under screens against LeBron because it's like we'd rather him take a jumper than be in the paint. And so even if teams are worried about his jumper a little bit, they duck under screens. But So the thing that they have to do to run pick-and-rolls is you have to run them down by the free-throw line, which is a little awkward, but once you run them down there... You start to get some actual traction because teams are less willing to just duck under screens because, like, if we duck under the screen now, Blake Griffin has a, has a head of steam going and he's at the hoop. Um, so you know, it was kind of a tricky thing for them to start doing, but they have started to do it a little bit more. Um, oh, it wasn't it wasn't that important what I said about LeBron. <laughs> um, but so basically, they've been uh, they they've been starting to do that more. I think they could do more with dribble handoffs between the two of them. Um, and I also think once Reggie Jackson comes back, it will make things much easier because Andre Drummond, So, like Stan Van Gundy has talked about this with Andre before, is that he's not a guy who ever is going to complain about shot attempts, but he wants to get the ball. He wants to be involved in things, right? And you touched on that earlier, is that's the difference between him and DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan honestly probably doesn't really care if he ever touches the ball, right? Andre Drummond doesn't care so much about shot attempts, but he wants to be involved in the offense. And the problem with Ish Smith is that Andre Drummond can't be involved really as a pick and roll man because he's like nobody guards a Smith so they just are like well we're just going to make sure Andre Drummond can't get to the hoop. And once Reggie Jackson comes back he can start to get some of those options back which will then in turn lessen the amount of times he's just trying to post up and such but there's some little things they can improve there. But um I think that I do think that there's ways they can do it but it's just it's tricky because um, so once again, like we've already said, DeAndre Jordan never even really wanted the ball, so Blake Griffin never had to worry about that and um you know, so now he has to worry about that a little bit, and the way Blake Griffin has mostly tried to do it so far is that when he sees Andre Drummond in the paint, he's really made a concerted effort to try and get him post up looks and obviously that's not the best option, but when you've only played together for what you know seventeen games, that's the sort of thing that can happen so I think that there's real hope because they're both good passers, but um, you know, one once again, this is your team, so you got to figure it out one way or another. So, um, yeah, yeah. So then I think that both of us pretty much agree then on that that you know, I you lean a little bit more towards playing the younger guys, but more or less you got to look to next season. Um, I just assume they, at the very least, try and I wouldn't throw in the towel yet they're pretty close to the point where you just completely forget about even trying to make the playoffs this year. But more than anything else is you have to look to the future. You have to look long-term at the very least to next year and somehow get something going. So yeah. And that's sort of that. Um, Next up and last on our docket here today is talking about the coaching situation, then also the team in general sort of long-term. So not just this year into next year and beyond and, you can take that away first.
1: Uh, all right. <clears throat> well, uh, those of you who are frequenters of the Detroit Pistons subreddit are aware that I have a dim view, Stan Van Gundy, as a coach. Uh, I believe – I think he's a bad coach. I think he's one of the worst coaches in the league, uh, and to be honest. He <clears> – <throat> I mean the man doesn't have an innovative bone in his body he admits that he admits he's not creative on offense <clears throat> he uh he is also admits and another big problem he absolutely dislikes going outside of his comfort zone uh he basically uh it seems to be more partial to the reality he prefers rather than the reality that he has so what we get him doing is a lot of stuff that he wants to work this is his vision it doesn't work. He keeps doing it. Uh, the, the in-game, uh, you know, the sort of in-game adjustments that need to happen don't. Uh, you know, a lot of times we see other teams come out and butcher us in the second half because they've made adjustments and the do the same shit. He's got a limited playbook. He's super predictable, <clears throat> uh, and you know, it takes an eternity for him to make the necessary out-of-game, the, you know, the necessary out-of-game adjustments. So <clears throat> he's just He's, he's he has not been a good coach. I'm of the opinion that he punted last season uh, by continuing to play Reggie Jackson far, far beyond the point at which it was reasonable. Uh, Ish was the better point guard last season. I think that's something that a lot of people have, you know, seen Ish this season struggle and say, oh, well, clearly he was the better one last season. That wasn't the case. <clears throat> uh, he was serviceable. I think he's grown, consi- you know, you know, with every passing season, you know, including his last season, this one, he's grown less used. He can't shoot, but, uh, you know, you and I finally came to agree that Jackson was just absolutely horrendously bad last season because of injury. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, he really punted last season. They could have very easily made it at the playoffs, in a, you know, in an exceptionally weak conference. <clears throat> uh, the man doesn't coach shot selection. He lets his, You know, he basically, he, he lets his veterans do too much, whatever they want. He doesn't develop his young players very well. Uh <clears throat> Yeah, he's just not a good coach uh he just he does the same shit that doesn't work over and over and over again um you know as an example this year uh his, his new offense with avery bradley <clears throat> so it worked well to start the season it was fresh bradley was shooting the best numbers of his career and uh the team's decline went absolutely concurrent like the decline in of the offense everything went to trash Absolutely concurrent with Avery Bradley shooting uh, going on the downturn. I think it was a minor entry, whatever the case. Uh, things went south, and, uh, and uh, Pistons went on a seven-game win streak. Van Gundy changed nothing. Stuff he was doing with Bradley, I wrote an article about it, was unbelievably inefficient. He had replaced incredibly inefficient drum and post-ups with incredibly inefficient Bradley handoffs. Bradley was taking the most shots in the team after a Jackson injury. He was shooting around Josh Smith level. And this is Josh Smith, his worst, you know. I think it's last season with Detroit. Van Gundy kept to be that. He doesn't get the most out of his talents. He's just he's got so so many problems. And you know, especially with this new situation, where it's like, you know, it's going to be tough to make Drummond and Griffith work together. You and I can agree on that. It's going to take some creativity. Correct. I mean,
0: um, I don't. I'm, yeah, more or less. I don't think Drummond and Griffin are the problem. I think it's going to be difficult and tricky to get the right um, guys around them, given that they're in a very, which we've discussed at length, that they're in a very difficult place as far as the yeah. salary cap goes and such. So I don't think Drummond and Griffin will be the problem so much as you do, but I, it's going to be tough. Yeah, so you can keep going.
1: going to be tough. So basically, uh, you know, I'd say Van Gundy has been an unequivocal negative. I mean, he's just, he's got too many downsides. Uh, he doesn't innovate. He's super rigid. Uh, he does stuff that doesn't work. He avoids stuff that does work. Uh, he just he just makes a great deal of mistakes. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's had all the time in the world to get better as a coach. Like, even the new offense. <clears throat> the new offense, he openly says, uh, was the product of the assistant coaches and his brother saying, if this isn't working, we got to do something different. Uh, you know, they were the ones who pushed him out of his comfort zone. Uh, otherwise, we very well may have had the exact same offense we had last season. All pick and rolls, drum and post-ups, despite him being arguably the most inefficient post-player of the last decade. Uh, you know, just ruinously bad stuff. that We just may have seen it again and again. And in the event we got a good offense uh, that he couldn't keep fresh, he kept doing the same things over and over again. Uh, the opposition really just began basically hedging on the handoffs. They knew what the Pistons were going to do. And, and you know, that was that. Suddenly the offense went downhill, and uh, he was unable to make the necessary adjustments. He just he did the bank Gundy thing, which is just to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, even if it completely doesn't work. So uh, <clears throat> I think he's had his shot. Uh, I think he's proven that, that he can't, you know, that he can't get the most out of his team. He just, he absolutely can't. He arguably believed it's, you know, much less than the most out of his team. And for a team like the Pistons, like particularly a team like the Pistons, which is very unlikely to have this top level talent unless you get lucky in the draft, you need a coach who's going to have to maximize contributions of his players. That's not him. He also doesn't really seem to inspire them at all. And it's just maddening seeing him do the same unworkable things over and over and over and over again. uh, You know, and uh, I firmly believe that that eight game losing streak, that seven game losing streak, in a lot of those games by two or three points. If Van Gundy had not been pursuing an offense that was incredibly inefficient and proven, legitimate, was statistically proven to not work, uh, I think the Pistons, you know, I think I don't think they would have had those losing streaks. It just it just wouldn't have. If you make a two or three point difference, uh, you get a lot, you get a lot more wins out of those. So they would be in playoff position. They would have been a playoff team last year. Uh, <clears throat> as far as his work as general manager, I mean even before this trade, he had backed this team into a corner with the, you know, with series of bad signings, uh, could have gotten rid of Josh. So, you know, various things we can all agree. It was a good idea to wave, uh, Josh Smith. He could have gotten out under that contract earlier. If he had taken that trade, cause the ran a dive, The moron in charge of the Kings, like Josh Smith, he chose, no, I want to make this work. Uh, which is a sign I think of how is archa- how archaic his thinking was because you can't make that lineup work. Uh, you just, you can't make a three big lineup with people who can't shoot work. Even if so now we're stuck paying and stuck's paying Smith 5 million. John Bluer, Van Gundy really liked him, decided we're going to go out and get him, gave him a big contract as a stretch four. Bluer had not proven he could shoot threes. Bluer cannot shoot threes. Uh, he's, you know, he's been 26% with this. He's not athletic. He's a bad defender. Uh, and, uh, you know, Van Gundy's made numerous, uh, numerous management decisions that are wrong on that note as well, has failed to anticipate, you know, has just failed to recognize the vital importance of shooting and athleticism in today's NBA. Uh, Langston Galloway was a terrible idea. Uh, he's paid too much for what he offers, which is essentially just he's a heat check shooter, bad point guard. Uh he's not the greatest defender. Uh, you know, he was given most of the MLE. Uh, we're under that contract as well. Altogether. Uh, for the next two seasons, we're going to be paying Josh Smith, John Boer, and Langston Galloway. I think about 22 million dollars, uh, which is an incredible amount. <clears throat> uh, yeah, he just—he hasn't done well. He hasn't done well at management. Uh, and you know, if this—you know—if this Griffin uh, you know, uh, deal—if it just—if he just doesn't work out, in Detroit, then Ben Gundy will have left the Pistons unequivocally worse than when he came in. Uh, you know. With, uh, you know, less young assets, uh, a team that doesn't work, like Griffin being paid over $30 million till what, like 2022? Uh, as far as young talent, Van Gundy's been a crappy drafter. It's one thing to miss on the draft, uh, you know, miss on the draft once, out of three times, twice out of three times, when you're three times in a row. <laughs> I mean, Stanley Johnson, Van Gundy said, we're not going to draft by by positional need. We're going to draft based on who's available and what this team needs. team desperately needed shooting. Passed over Devin Booker. Yeah, KCP was a question mark. He still couldn't shoot. He wasn't progressing as they needed him to. Went with Stanley Johnson by positional need. Johnson's shortcoming in college, shooting. Pistons, uh, I, I believe uh, in the uh, combination uh, of 15-16 uh, and 16-17 season, uh, were the least efficient shooting team in the league over those two seasons. Last, uh, very last, last season. And I think 27th the season before. Uh, went with Henry Ellenson Despite there not being much You know <clears throat> uh, He clearly had every intention of signing John Bloor uh, Or looking for one of those guys uh, He he drafted Ellenson Because Ellenson was best player available Not because he fit not need the Pistons Needed shooting wings Karis Levert for example was available Went with Ellenson had scouted him Best player, player available You know Not a great player Low athletic ceiling uh, You know in, in the recent draft again Whipped on Mitchell uh, because, you know, he went with the safe pick for an organization that could go safe pick. He went with a guy who has a low athletic ceiling. Uh, you know, you can't look at much and say that, you know, that right now uh, this team is in a good position. It's straddling the luxury cap line with a team that's probably not going to, uh, you know, that will struggle to make it the second round and probably won't make it out of the second round. So... I, I think in both of his roles, he's he's failed pretty badly, but I think he's definitively shown that he's he's a coach who makes the team worse rather than better. Uh, <clears throat> uh, at this point, I mean, I see, see a common brain is like, oh, who's better? And it's like, sure, there aren't very many unemployed coaches at any given time who uh, you know who are considered a great coach. You know, great, you know, great, uh, a great idea for the position. Otherwise, they would have jobs. So. <clears throat> uh, but there's always new blood coming in. There's new blood coming in from the G League. Uh, there's new blood coming in uh, amongst assistant coaches uh, from the NCAA. Some of the best coaches, Brad Stevens, arguably the second best coach in the league, you know, was coaching at Butler in 2010, I believe. And so there are always options. And just, oh, it might be worse. Really? I mean, bringing up both Cheeks and that, that carousel of coaching, you know, worse, you know, not as bad doesn't mean good enough. Uh, I'd look at Jerry Stackhouse, to be honest. Uh, you know, he's definitely worth a look. It's just, I think changes need to be made. I think Van Gundy has proven that, uh, you know, just across the board, he's not the right guy for this job. It's just, he's made so many bad decisions. He did an admirable job rebuilding on the fly, uh, built a team he couldn't coach, built a team that couldn't shoot well, finally got a team that was viable this season, even though it was desperately short on depth. Our bench was good because Ish was shooting super well to start the season. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's just he's—he's he's not a coach who can innovate. He's not a coach who can get the most out of things. So, I'd like to see him gone. I haven't seen him improve. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm having trouble. Must, yeah, I'm just having trouble mustering much of a super coherent argument because I've—that's I've, because I've talked about this so many times. Oh <laughs> yeah. Well, we know that.
0: So then, instead of just continuing to talk about Stan Van Gundy's failures, okay. So then. What sort of a coach, you mentioned Jerry Stackhouse, but, like, obviously, I it's hard to know, like, what specific guys, but, like, what sort of a coach um, do you think would be best for this team?
1: Modern coach, coach who can innovate. I mean, Stan Van Gundy, is, you know, he, he as I've said earlier, he understood, He was ahead of his time uh, as, as far as coaching three-point shooting and, and that sort of offense. In every other capacity, he's, you know, he's, he's behind the times. Uh, you know, he hasn't kept up, uh, as a general manager or as a coach with, uh, you know, with the evolution of NBA offense uh, offenses over the past three seasons on defense. he still is a paint protect coach, like, uh, he directs his players to withdraw into the paint, for example, you know, a great example of this season, uh, three guys withdraw to the paint to stop a drive by Tomas Sadoransky, you know, pretty no-name player of the, the Capitals. They leave, um. Uh, Otto Porter opened at the three-point line. I mean, it's one of the deadliest three-point shooters in the league. This is a three-point shooting league. The Pistons are a miserable three-point defense team because Stan Van Gundy doesn't stress that. He wants them to protect the paints. He wants them to stop drives. Uh, you can't do that. I mean, this is a league in which three-point shooting is king. Uh, and we just see, we again, it's just on a theme. It's like again and again and again. I mean, it's incredibly obvious. His traps, the way he's doing things are incredibly archaic. Um, so... Honestly, we just need a new coach who's modern with times. I couldn't tell you exactly what's necessary, but I'll repeat: in Detroit, this is not going to be a team with a tremendous amount of talent. You know, it's it's uh, you know, unless it, 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 it works its way back to you know become a real basketball destination. It's a shame because Mitchell could have made it one of those. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like a, uh, it's a downward spiral when you don't have the talent. People don't want to come play there. It's going to be harder to get that talent. Um, so they really need a, a, a coach who's going to be able to get desperately need a coach who's going to be able to get the most out of the talent he has available.
0: Okay. So then um, so. as far as, um, now nah, we've talked extensively, it's any personnel moves that they want to make are going to be very difficult. Um, but sort of what general sort of things would you like to see them do?
1: Uh, we're talking this off season.
0: Uh, this, just sort of in the general future, you can go as far out. I'm obviously like, let's not go like a decade out. Cause who has a, clue at that point but you know you can go beyond this year just what do you think are the sort of things that they need to do and need to have happen to succeed going forwards with
1: the team? You'll strongly disagree with this uh, but it's, it's just something i the be beginning really. really uh, is that they can't go forward with, with this big man pairing can't have more than $50 million uh, invested in the big man pairing to uh, on the wing in today's NBA and succeed uh, you just can't I mean this, this pairing is already archaic flippers for the last one Pairing of this sort, aside from the Jazz. The jazz have favors and Colbert. There's a very big difference there is that two of them combined take less shots Blake doesn't look. Uh, they played Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles. They played Hayward and George Hill the season before. And also, they're going to be moving on with favors because he's fifth. So, uh, this super archaic big man combo, they arguably make each other, very arguably make each other less belly, uh, no strength on the wing. Uh, you can't. You can't run an effective NBA team like that. Got to build around Andre. You got to build around Blake. They both need shooters around them. They both basically need to be, uh, you know, the center of your team, particularly on offense. Uh, You know, Blake and how much he handles the ball. The fact that not the greatest shooter. uh, Andre, just the fact that he can't shoot at all. So, you know, going on a slightly radical note, I'd say you got to maybe you get lucky. Somebody says, "Oh yeah, we love Blake." You know. Uh, will give you some really good stuff for him. and you say, okay, well, maybe that's a good option. Uh, knows if Tom Gores allows that.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: Yeah, but beyond that, you might see uh, who's available for Drummond. Honestly, if Griffin can stay healthy, he can continue to evolve his game, and you can surround him with four good shooters, fantastic. In that case, you need to stretch five. And so Drummond's either got to learn to shoot, in which case, awesome. If, if Andre Drummond can be, a, can be become a good outside shooter, uh, then... Right, you've just opened yourself up a, a gigantic wealth of options because you've got a super athletic center who can do everything. Uh, but beyond that, yeah, maybe you see if you move Drummond, but you deal with some problems there. Center is not a, a highly coveted position anymore. It's a traditional center, not highly coveted. You know, been certain teams, uh, and uh, uh, you know, plenty of teams are going with cheap centers and just surrounded by with shooters. Uh, and also, you have a strong free agent crop centers this offseason. This, this off and uh, let's be honest, Gorez loves Drummond. I don't think he's gonna move. But beyond that, what can you really do? You got the MLE to spend, that's nine million, that's not much. You might have to give some for Tolliver. You resign Ennis, maybe find some minimum free agents, you need a new backup center. Hands are tied. And if yeah. you can find some if you can if you get another GM high on some sort of hallucinogen and upload Lure and Galloway and get something back in the return, then more power to you. But you know, a gruesome indication of what the, the bad cap situation we're in right now, is if we were able to just say, oh, hey, Orlando, why don't you take Bluer and Galloway <clears throat> and just give us, like, a dollar in return, which earlier this season I think a lot of people would have been happy with, you know, open up space, get about to out some hundreds of bad contracts, uh, that would leave the Pistons with about a million dollars in cap space. Oh. I mean, they would still effectively be at the cap. That's how <laughs> bad things are right now. Yeah. If Bluer if and, and Galloway just, just uh, cease to exist, they would still be at
0: the cap. Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, so I've been – I mostly have been a Stan Van Gundy supporter, but the main thing that I would say first is that um, as far as keeping him or getting rid of him, I'm not going to go to bat for him big time um, because the reality is – so as much as I can say – And I have said extensively, so I'm not going to get too into it because I've I've been through this several times on this podcast and in other places. But um, is that as much as I can say, you know, I see, you know, this thing or that thing and this thing that make me think that it'd be worth letting him get one more year. The reality is this is a results driven league. And he's this will be his after this year. He will have been here four years and most likely made the playoffs one time. Um, and even if you want to say, which is probably fair, I'd think most people probably agree is fair, at least that his first year, you can't really hold it against him that they didn't make the playoffs his first year because that roster was just an absolute mess. Still, no, you know, even if you get rid of that one, say, okay, that doesn't count, right? Then first year, 44 wins, eight seed swept in the first round. That's your high watermark. Last year, you win 37 games. Um, there's a very good chance that they don't get to 37 this year, so... You know, as much as I can say, well, there's this thing, there's that thing, you know, all these things that I may say that make me think, you know, in the end, I think that I'd probably keep him. It's not a super strong sentiment. And it's also one that if they get rid of him, I'm certainly not going to be up in arms about it. Um, Even though I still mostly think he's done a decent job, I think he's worth keeping. But it's just like, it's a results-driven league. And he's had, he certainly has gotten a fair chance. Like, you can't say that he hasn't. He was given all of the tools. He's repeatedly said Tom Gores has done everything that they've asked for him to do as far as the front office and everything else. Um, he's been given everything that he can to succeed, and unless they go on a miracle run at the end, which we talked about earlier, there's a small chance they could, but, I mean, it's not a good one. Um, they will have missed the playoffs in three of his four years, and the high-water mark would be a 44-win team that was swept in the first round. So it's just one of those things that it's like, even though, yeah, I mostly think that they should give him another year. I'm not going to, I'm not going down with that ship, you know, like (laughs) there's some things that I'm, I, some arguments that I go to bat for, this ain't one of them. Um, it's just, it's hard. You're at a losing argument at that point when it's like in the end, the results haven't been there. So, um, the, as far as the player movements and such, um, the one thing, I, as you said, I, you said, I know you'll disagree with me. Yes, that's the truth. Um, I don't think that you get rid of Blake or Drummond. Um, I think that they will work long-term. I'm pretty confident in that. The thing that's going to be really tricky is that you have to find the right mix of other guys around them and very limited tools to do so. Like you said, Langston Galloway and John luer could cease to exist, and they'd only be a million dollars under the salary cap. Um, so somehow or another, they have to figure out the right mix around them. Um, one thing that I definitely want to see is I want to see how they look with Reggie Jackson at point guard instead of Ish Smith. Um, Reggie Jackson will not solve all of the problems that the team has had lately. I'm because especially since very often their biggest problem has been defense, and obviously Reggie Jackson is not going to solve any problems there. Uh, Ish Smith has not been good defensively the last month or so, which has been kind of bizarre. But I'm. Even at his very best, Reggie Jackson is like an average defender, so he's certainly not fixing that. But that said, I'd still like to see what they look like with Reggie Jackson at point guard um, before I make any totally sound judgments on anything. But somehow or another, they need to find the right mix around them. And basically for that to happen, they need one of their wings to pop, I think. And the way Reggie Bullock has played this year, Um, is a really good thing, and it should give at least some amount of hope. Um, I'd be interested to see what he could do with another offseason of getting ready and where the Pistons know that he is, you know, capable of doing what he's done. Um, And if he does, then that could really change things for the team. But somehow or another, they need to find that fifth guy. So whether it's Stanley Johnson, Luke Kennard, Maybe some guy that you take a flyer on, maybe they hit a second round pick, whatever it may be. They somehow, they need to have some wing player, some shooting guard, whatever, they need to have them hit. And they don't have great resources to do so. Um, You're either counting on guys that are guys to improve in a huge amount or nailing a second round pick or some waiver guy that you pick off the garbage pile. So it's going to be hard to do. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, and we've talked about this already before, but so it's going to be challenging. Um, but basically the hope has to be that Blake Griffin is as good as advertised, Andre Drummond is as good as advertised, and then Reggie Jackson can come back and he can play really well, and then you basically say we have two all-stars on the roster and a third guy who's really, really good, and we'll manage to work it from there. That's kind of what the hope has to be, and um, once again, that's not great, Um, but I do think that if those things can happen, and that's a big if, um, there is decent hope that the wings around them can be good enough that they can let that work, at the very least. And, uh, you know, one thing that is different, I'm really high on Luke Kennard. I really, look, I get the Donovan Mitchell thing, a lot of Pistons fans wanted him right away. Um, you know, it's not just a, it's like the Devin Booker thing. No, the Pistons, the organization themselves actually came very close to drafting him. And that's one of the reasons why that's hard. But let's be honest, most Pistons fans were not clamoring for Devin Booker over Stanley Johnson at the time. With the Dev, with the Donovan Mitchell thing, there were tons of Pistons fans. I mean, I remember on my podcast with um, Helbridius about it. He talked about, I want Donovan Mitchell. This is the guy I want. There were tons of people who wanted him, and the Pistons went with Kennard. So I get it, but just because Donovan Mitchell is awesome doesn't mean that Luke Kennard isn't really good and can't be really good. I've been hugely impressed with him. Um, Coming into the year, I had very low expectations for him, just simply put. And I have repeatedly been really impressed by his game. I think he's been... Um, actually mostly passable defensively, which is like a miracle because he was horrible at defense in college. Um, I just, I, I really have high hopes that he could be a really good player. So that's one of the things that paints my optimism a bit. And also I believed in Reggie Boyle from the moment he showed up here after his first preseason game that he played with the Detroit Pistons. So, um, you know, I think that there's a decent chance they do it, but that's kind of what has to happen. Is they have to have one? They have to hit a wing somehow or another. Uh, they need to get at least four dudes who can really play. And theoretically, they've got three. And if they can get one more dude who can really play, then they have something real. Um, but you know, as far as Stan Van Gundy goes, I'm not going to get too into it because I've been into it more than enough times. But I I would prefer they keep him. Um, he's got one more year in his contract. Uh, I'd just assume give him the shot. I think that there's been enough positives that it'd be worth it, but if they get rid of him, it's certainly not something that I'm going to be super upset about because they haven't won enough. I mean, it's exactly what Tom Gores and Stan Van Gundy said last night, um, is that, you know, Tom Gores said, I, they're working hard, I know that, I really like Stan, I like his vision and such, they're not winning enough. And that's the same thing Stan Van Gundy said in the post-game press conference leading up to the whole deal where he started talking about how he's not desperate trying to keep his job. It's like, you know, it's a results-driven league, and in the end, he hasn't won enough. So um, I'd like to see how things go with Reggie Jackson in the lineup and such, but yeah, as far as beyond any moves they could make, um, one thing is they have an extra guard or wing. They Basically, they have an extra guard right now is... Um, I don't think they ever intended Langs and Galloway to play point guard. They only intended them to play shooting guard. And then the Avery Bradley trade fell into their lap, and then Reggie Bullock ended up being awesome. And that's made him useless because Luke Kennard's better than him, and Reggie Bullock is better than him. So you have to decide if you want to keep Ennis. Basically, I think you have to decide between Ennis and Galloway. Um, if you keep Ennis, then he can start probably him or Stanley. Him and Stanley can make up the small forward rotation. Then you got to somehow unload Galloway. Um, if you let Ennis walk, then you can go forward with a really small rotation um, where you have, you could either start Kennard and Bullock at the same time and then have Stanley Johnson and Galloway off the bench, or maybe you could start Bullock and, and Galloway, whatever it may be, or maybe Galloway and Kennard are your bench lineup with Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock in the starting lineup. Um, that's something that they did earlier this year, and it actually got decent results. But I think you mostly have to decide between those two and then somehow Hope that you find a um, another another big because if 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 Anthony Tolliver leaves, they are, they'll be pretty thin up front. Um, one thing that will matter is it whether or not over the off season you can teach Blake to be passable as the backup center. That would change things a bit there. But um, you mentioned this earlier. If Hen- one thing that could really make a difference would be if Henry Ellenson can be able to be a rotation caliber player. Um, He doesn't need to be awesome. He just needs to be good enough that he can play, you know, 13 minutes a game. That would really help them a lot. And um, I still, I still, I haven't given an up on him. He's got a really good offensive skill set for a guy of his size. Um, And the other thing is that it's hard to say because he's basically never played in the rotation. He has not often been good. He's had a couple of good games and some not so good, but I mean, he's largely an unknown. We're basically like, well, we're pretty sure he doesn't play any defense still, and when he has played, he hasn't scored very efficiently, but he's got a good offensive skill set. So who knows if he'll manage to do that or not, but that would really help them if he could manage to. Um, but yeah, so I think they need to pick between either Ennis or Galloway. You keep Ennis, then you have to unload Galloway somewhere. If you don't keep Ennis, then you can keep Galloway and you can work that somehow. Um, And yeah, I mean, in the end, I think really what it comes down to is I'm more optimistic about the future mostly because I think I really like Blake Griffin and I think him and Andre Drummond can work. And then I think really it comes down to that. The main difference above everything else between you and me and our outlook on the team is you don't think Blake Griffin is as good as I think. And more importantly than that, you think that he does not fit with Drummond in today's NBA. And, you know, in the end, that's a fair argument to make. Um, it's one I disagree with, but there's certainly evidence to back it up. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things say. that we'll just have to wait and see. You know, and... We'll and see. Yeah. Once I again... Say,
1: I mean, there are oh. many who can argue that what we have now is a much crabbier version of Flippers' teams. were so disappointing for so many years in a team in which that composition is, you know, having two non-shooting big men was... except... Was uh, like... No offense to Reggie Jackson, he's not Chris Paul. But, uh,
0: <laughs> no kidding.
1: Uh, not, but, you know, <laughs> Chris Paul was one of the best point guards in the history, and it's for all the people who want to say, oh, Griffin and Jordan worked together so well. It's like the third member of that team was the best member of the team. That's Chris Paul. It, you know, could make nearly anything work. Well, uh,
0: just worth mentioning that they did they did still work together this year without Chris Paul. Now, look, I'm all the way with you, okay? It's like that's one of the things that is the scariest potential for this team is that it's basically, they're like the Clippers teams of the last, what, five, six years, except Reggie Jackson instead of Chris Paul. That is, that's a, <laughs> that's not something you want. That's why they really need one of the wings to pop, because those Clippers teams, now J.J. Redick was very, very good, or is very, he's still good, but he was very, very good. He fit really well, but they never found that fifth guy, but they were still a really good team just because it's like Chris Paul is the point god, you know? Um, Reggie Jackson is not that he's good. I like Reggie Jackson a lot, but obviously he's not Chris Paul. That's one of the reasons why it's important for them to have a wing to pop because, so even if we say Reggie Bullock is this, the player he's been so far this year, that's what he is long-term. He is a truthfully elite shooter and whatnot. Like that's who he is. He's a starter. He's a really good player. And then you say, basically, theoretically, he can fill the JJ Redick role more or less. Um, but the Pistons do not have Chris Paul. So they can't just say, we're just going to run out some like borderline G-leaguer at that fifth spot, and it'll work because Chris Paul is incredible. Um, they need to have that fifth guy be workable somehow or another.
1: And- well, it's worse than, you can argue that it's worse than that because this is, this is a different league now uh, and that there was a different trio. Not only is it Richard Jackson versus Chris Paul, but uh, it's a younger, healthier, much more explosive Blake Griffin, and it's an all-NBA defender, like first-team all-defense defender, DeAndre Jordan, in a league where a three-point shooting three years ago, not nearly as prevalent as it is now. I mean, the three-point attempt rate has gone up by 7 or 8% overall in the NBA since 2015. Yeah, uh, so
0: all those so, reasons are all yeah. good reasons to be worried about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think in the end, right, it mostly comes down to I think Blake Griffin is good. I think, well, you think Blake Griffin is good. I think I think highly of, higher of Blake Griffin than you do, and I think him and Drummond will work. And, you know, for better or worse, that's what the team is for now. Um, yep. So we better hope that I'm right, because otherwise exactly. it's going to
1: be awful. Yeah, we're, we're stuck with it. I mean, as far as Blake and Andre, I mean, it's just unfortunately all the evidence is against that pairing being, uh, you know, being a productive one, particularly with the total black talent around them. I mean, you, uh, you know, relative to other big man pairings that succeeded in the past, like who, have you read, honestly had amongst, amongst highly successful NBA teams of this sort, which ones have existed, uh, that have put this much stock into a, into a big-man combo of any kind, uh, let alone two of them can't shoot. I mean, your closest historical analog, a championship team is the Lakers, who've had Bynum and, uh, and Gasol. Now, even there, a big difference is Gasol can shoot. Also, they have Kobe Bryant. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the main player on your team is Kobe Bryant. Uh, yeah. And, you know, second best shooting guard of all time. So, Ooh. that's, you know, that's that's your difference. Uh, Lamar, you had Lamar Odom as well. I mean, Bynum was injury prone. It was not a huge portion of those teams all the time. Lamar Odom, arguably the best six men of all time. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, there's just, you know, the last team to succeed with a roster like this was the Twin Towers? That is two Hall of Fame big men who were dominant defensively, and that was a long time ago, under the best coach of all time. So I mean, there's there's unfortunately just ample evidence that uh, you know, especially with the development of the NBA, that this was a terrible idea. And also, when you're when you're making a trade for a max player, a franchise-changing uh, trade for for an injury-prone max player, if you're going into this saying, maybe we can make him work with our current franchise player. That is an excellent reason to say, I'll stop. We're not doing this. Uh, you know, when you're adding that kind of player, you want to say, absolutely. We think we can make them work. This is going to be great. They bring different skills to the team. They're going to mesh really well together. Uh, that wasn't the case here. It was like, yeah, maybe we can do it. You know, it's just, we're just going to have Blake Griffin. Maybe we can do it. They overlap. They don't really bring very much in the way of different skills. Andre is becoming a, a passer of his own accord, um, that's the trouble. So, I mean, I agree a lot's going to have to go right. I mean, I'll say, like I said, in the first place, Blake's got to become a much better outside shooter. He can't operate, you know, mostly down low uh, with, the, with Andre Drummond there. Our wings have got to succeed. Reggie Bullock's got to stay healthy. I think his ceiling is a little bit lower than you do. Uh, I,
0: I, I readily think, admit that I think Reggie Bullock is better than – I probably think Reggie Bullock is better than Reggie Bullock's family think he is.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been a defender over the past while well, when he was doing terribly earlier this season. I said the guy just needs time to get in the rhythm. It's always been the case with him. But uh, he's going to be important. Paying the money to keep him is going to be important. Health is going to be important, of course. Uh, just you know, if be forgot, he's an incredibly injury. <clears throat> and uh, so he's got to do well. He's an ideal fit for shooting guard. He's not. Very good. He's, he's very undersized uh, you know, as, as far as his actual strength uh, to play at small forward, he's performed much better at shooting guard. Uh, Stanley, I'd say, is the more important. Too, he's got, you know, he's got a lot of potential. He's really got to work out, and that's another reason I think Van Gundy is not the greatest idea because he has not done a good job, in my opinion, of developing Stanley, particularly last season. Part of that was Stanley's fault showing up at training camp, but uh, uh, so Stanley is crucially important. Lukas my issue with him, low ceiling. I mean, today in the NBA, athleticism is everything. Uh, you know, you know, not everything, but vital, absolutely vital, especially amongst wing players uh, and point guards as well, and increasingly power forwards, increasingly centers. Uh, Luke Kennard is—he uh, doesn't have a good first step. He's got bad lateral mobility. He's not explosive. He does not have good leaping ability. He is always going to have that ceiling applied to. Him. You know, in the NBA, it's very important to reach that increasingly high baseline of athleticism. Otherwise, you're at a permanent disadvantage. So, I mean, I'd say his ceiling is at... Uh, his ceiling, actually ceiling, is at the Kyle California level. is the hyper-efficient shooter from outside. But even that, with those players who aren't the best defenders, aren't very athletic, you have to surround them with good defenders. The Hawks surrounded Corver with good defenders. The, uh, the Clippers uh, had Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan uh, next to him. Uh, you have... You know, even then, he's going to require certain things. Is he a good scorer? Yes. It goes both ways, though. He's got to be able to play defense. Uh, I don't agree that he's been as good as as you've said on defense. He's been heavily protected most of the season, from bad matchups. Uh, because even against the Lance Stevenson in the world, he doesn't have a chance. Get eaten alive, basically run over, or just run past. Uh, I've seen people be like, "Well, we don't know what his ceiling is. It could be Clay Thompson." You know, obviously that's an exaggeration, but it's like but he's not going to be clay thompson. You know, I think that's only...
0: a, I think that's a bad comparison anyways. He's a it's like yeah. I think you know now Clay Thompson's just so good that you know that's a little bit different but like I think Kyle Korver, JJ Redick, I think that's a bad comparison. Clay um Luke Kennard is a better ball handler than those guys ever have been and he's 21. That's why I, that's honestly that's the reason why I'm high on him. I think that his ceiling is something closer to CJ McCollum. Now, that would be like absolute ceiling, but like a not quite as good version of CJ McCollum is a guy who he handles the ball and he can really score in a variety of ways, but it's mostly as a jump shooter. Um, but I really do not think that um, Kyle Korver, JJ Reddick, I think it's a bad comparison. I think the only reason people make it is because he's a white guy from Duke. That's, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I think I, he's just, he's, yeah. so, he's, a, he's so much better as a ball handler, passer, and playmaker. And that's the reason why I think, look, I mean, I don't think he's going to get that good. But I legitimately think he's a guy who could be, um, a guy who could be like your third, a legitimate third option, tertiary option on offense, and be a great dude who's your top scorer off the bench. I think he can work as that. I think he could be a dude who could score over 15 points per game on great efficiency, and doing a lot of it himself.
1: Okay, I, I, I could I could see where you're coming from there. Maybe invent that a bit. Maybe we call his ceiling for Williams. To be honest, just an off the bench shooter. Uh, yeah, he comes I can work with that. You put the ball in his hands, and he likes to shoot the ball a great deal. Yeah, I mean, you know that that would that would be good. Uh, but I think that he's a player who who will be at an inherent disadvantage because, say, unlike Williams, for example, uh, he you know he's an unathletic player in an NBA that increasingly uh, stresses athleticism. So, but like you said, he's got to develop. I don't think Van is the guy to do that. When he gets put on when Kinnar gets put on the floor these days, he gets no help getting over. And right now he can't find his own shot, but he gets no help. And Van Gundy repeatedly runs him in his crappy pick and roll sets for long twos. Uh, so but yeah, he's got it developed. Uh, you know, Henry Ellenson, uh, again, a pretty unathletic guy. He's got impressive handles for a big man, but he's he's just he's I don't think he's ever gonna be a good defender. He's gotta be an efficient shooter. If he can't be an efficient shooter, he has no a place in the NBA. Um, and I don't know how he's going to get there. He needs to add more strength, too. So that's got to go right. Blake and Andre have got to do well together. Blake's got to be healthy. Andre's got to be healthy. Ennis, I don't know. I think Hal put it best when he said, you get out of him exactly what you'd expect for a guy being paid $3 million. I think he's a lesser version of Marcus Morris in the sense that, uh, you know, the serviceable players, not guys you want to have in your starting lineup if you're actually looking to win.
0: I do think that James Ennis is a better fit than Marcus Morris. He's a little bit better shooter and doesn't need the ball in his hands as much, but the overall impact though. Yeah. I think that's a good comparison as a guy who um, he can be the fifth starter on a pretty good team, or he can be a guy coming off the bench. Like he's a solid player, but he's not a difference maker. I think that's definitely fair with him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think that, uh, obviously you need to get good value at a jump where uh, he's gotta learn to shoot freeze. Uh, he's gotta be a very efficient shooter. I mean, you said, last season 58% true shooting is nothing to see that off the bench player. He's basically gotta be that efficient too. He's garbage, absolutely got off the defender. And uh, so basically you just have a lot have to have a lot of things go right. Uh, as far as Blake at center, here's the trouble. as I see it that Blake is always gonna struggle as a defender. His defensive IQ was bad. Uh, he's got short arms. He's, he's increasingly going to be slower than your average power forward. He goes up against and effort is a problem. I mean, efforts, there, there are times when he just wants to get back on offense. He doesn't particularly care to put the, the work in or, or certainly ever put body on, on the line on defense. He doesn't like to defend the rim. He'd rather just see somebody run right past him. It makes him a terrible advantage uh, defender. Uh, and that's why I think he'll never be able to play center.
0: Well, the thing with him, I don't want him starting at center. Like, even if they traded Andre. um, But if you ran him as a bench, so what they tried to do initially, um, one thing that I would say in his defense is the Clippers never had him try to do that. Um, And I think, I'm pretty sure Stan Van Gundy said this at one point, that they decided to go back to Moreland and basically said, you know, Blake Griffin's trying to learn a new offense, get used to new players, et cetera, et cetera. Having him play a new position at the same time is just one thing too many. So we're just going to ditch that for now. Um, But so as a backup center, it's, if in theory he gets more used to it, I disagree with you that he's got a bad defensive IQ. Um, He communicates well. I think he just, he often doesn't care enough. Defensively, I agree with you on that. He does not always engage himself fully defensively, which he's hardly the only guy of his caliber of player to do that. But, you know, he, it's, it is a problem at times that he does not always engage himself defensively. But basically the hope would be that he can get sort of comfortable enough in that situation that he can sort of let your defense not be terrible, and then he just slaughters people on the other end because the idea of him going against backup centers is like, that's definitely an advantage him. So, I don't know for sure. The reason that I brought it up is just because if that could work long-term, that would help them a lot because um, then you don't have to worry as much about finding a new backup center, right? Um, yeah. I which right see, honestly, now is a real worry going into next year. Because, once again, if, if Anthony Tolliver leaves, your big men off the bench are Eric Moreland, John Luehr, and Henry Ellenson. Like, <laughs> that's it. Sure. And, you know, obviously they'll pull some other, they could pull some other guy off the, you know, garbage bin somewhere. But, like, I like Eric Moreland a lot more than a lot of people, but he's not that good. He's not a guy you want playing, you know, he's, I think he's very good as a third center, right? As a guy who he can fill in for for, when he's filling in for a few games, when someone's hurt, you know, filling in when someone's in foul trouble, whatever. I think he's great for that. He's cheap. He works fine for that. But he's not a guy you want as a regular in your rotation, like as planned for. And, you know, I'm. we both are kind of on the same page with John Lure that, um, you know, he's, he's not, he's overpaid, but he's not a useless player. Um, he's a guy, particularly as a bench guy, he can be fine even, once again, even if he's very overpaid. He can be a, pl- a positive player. But it's just... That's not what you want as your only guys. And then if any of them, anyone gets hurt, now Henry Ellenson is in your rotation, and that's not, that may not be a good thing. So I uh, just if Blake could play backup center, if they could make that work, which I don't know if it would or not, it would just it would make things easier because then they don't have to hope they can find a new backup center somewhere. It just it just makes everything work a little bit easier there. Um, ditto with John Luer having to find his three point shot back. Um, he'd been a good three-point shooter before he came to Detroit, admittedly a not-huge volume, um, and it, partially it just like it got in his head le- the last season where he just stopped shooting them. He was pump-faking air. It was bad. He needs to find at least some semblance of that back going forwards. Um, although, on the other hand, maybe they can just keep Anthony Tolliver, and it's all a moot point, but... Um, you yeah. know, we we just crossed the two hour mark, <laughs> so I, I think you. we'll we'll wrap a it up. Couple, couple last yeah. Things so I'd like yeah, to you say your just
1: things. To, I think an additional concern about Blake Griffin is that I mean he he bangs down low, but as a power forward, he doesn't have to always be doing that. If you play him at center, and this is why there are a lot of power forwards who just don't want to play center, uh, it's a lot more wear and tear on your body. Backup centers or not, you're playing on that a great deal, uh, and. You know, I don't know if it's wise to put miles uh, on, a, on a guy who's already got injury concern. We agree on it's a good third center, offensive black hole. That's a problem for a bench unit. It doesn't have much scoring. Uh, Blewett, as a three-point shooter, he he went back and forth. One good season, one awful season. One good season, one awful season. Uh, but the most he ever took. Was Was 1.6 in these yeah. There's
0: not a lot of volume there before, so there's there's good reason to believe that he actually may just be a bad three point shooter.
1: That would be trouble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he doesn't need to get awesome. He just needs to get at least to the point where like he actually shoots them and hits them occasionally. I mean, okay, if he does what he did, now he barely even played this year, so it's hard to say. I'm not going to draw anything from the like eight games he played only, but last year. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but last year, like, it was awful. Like, it wasn't just, like, he was missing them. He was, n- no one was guarding him out there, and he he would still pump fake and just never, and just drive it. It was just awful, right? He can't do that. He needs to at least get to the point that if people are going to leave him that comically wide open, he can take shots with confidence and hit them at a somewhat respectable rate, somehow.
1: Yeah, somehow. He needs to be able to hit at least a league average when he's open. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't he doesn't do that. And even though he was shooting, again, an excellent mark off the bench that was mid range, comes at a cost of shooting mid range. It comes to the cost, you know, to the cost of, as you say, if they can leave you wide open at the three point line. Yeah. Uh, that makes things a lot easier. For
0: yeah. And I mean, once again, bringing up his, you know, the fact that even with being such a bad three point shooter, he was still pretty efficient as a scorer. Is that the point is, if he can get to even somewhat respectable as a three point shooter, You've got yourself a real player again, right? Because, like, he can really do stuff on the inside. He's a good, he's a pretty good scorer inside in the mid range and in the paint. He's a smart passer for a big guy. Like, he can do a lot of good stuff. So if you can get it to the point where, at the very least, his three-point shooting, or lack thereof, is just this huge gaping hole in his game. You've got a really nice, complete big guy to come off the bench. He can play a little bit of center. He can play power forward. He's versatile. He does a lot of good things for you. But if he just if he's if he's like that again from deep, it's just like it's it's hard to overcome that. You know, such a I mean it's sort of the same thing with Ish Smith, right? He does a lot of good things for you, but there's times where it's just like it's hard to overcome such a blatantly gaping hole in your game.
1: You need he needs to be able to shoot freeze. He started trying for it lately if he something he needs to fix in the offseason, desperately. Yeah. Or he might have trouble getting it on the contract. Yeah. To be honest, if he can't.
0: Well I think he'll get another like I don't think he'll be out of the league, but I'd be surprised if he got another if another team if he if he plays like he has this year again next year um I would not be surprised if no one picked him up for their backup like I'm guessing that he's he'd still be in the league I mean he's never really been out of the league he's bounced around a ton of different places on various contracts but he's pretty much been in the league every year at least but yeah
1: Fair enough.
0: Yeah, so anything else you want to add on before we finish? No, I think we've covered a lot. All right, yeah, and we are over the two-hour mark, so we've filled it up hugely, and then obviously everyone will have two days to listen to it, so um, you can go right ahead and do that. And thank you very much for coming on. Um, You know, we often disagree, but it's always nice to have you on. Good to get the different viewpoints and everything. And, uh, yeah, you're just, just, you know what you're talking about, my man. So, um, that's going to be all for this one, I think. And, um, I will see you guys next time. Sorry about that. I lied. I forgot that I had, um, I had one thing that I had to say at the end. First off, I suppose, as long as I'm back, um, thanks again to him for coming on. Um, anyone who is ever in the Piston subreddit knows that we, we very often disagree. We are <laughs> we are borderline arch nemesis there. But, um, you know, especially given the way that the season's gone, there's been a lot of frustration in the subreddit. And I hope that, you know, me and him being able to have a podcast and just talk fairly civilly together, um, just a good reminder to everybody to just, you know, keep it calm. Everyone in the end, we all want the Pistons to succeed. Um, you know, so just be nice to each other. Um, the thing that I wanted to say, though, is that um, it's set up officially now, so I feel comfortable saying it at this point. Um, I've got a great opportunity for the rest of this year. There's not going to be a lot to it because we're doing it pretty late, but um, so in case you haven't noticed, because it hasn't been a lot, um, I've been writing some stuff for Palace of Pistons, the site that's uh, started by Aaron Johnson. Um, and uh, the so I, I've mostly just been doing, you know, their before game and after game things, so nothing big, and they knew that going forward. But um, through a connection from them, um, I've actually gotten myself, or really for them, and I've got it, um, I'm going to be able to be going to Grand Rapids Drive Games as a credentialed reporter. Um, And so there's only, I'm only going to their home games, and there's only five left this year, so it's not going to be a lot. Um, and they're all, I think the next two weeks, I think all of them are, I'm pretty sure, but I'm going to be doing that. So, um, I hope everybody looks for what comes out of that. Um, so I'm going to get to go early, interview players, interview coaches, um, sit down on press row and then do the same thing after the game, get to go interview players and such. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Um thank you wanna say a big thank you to the to Aaron Johnson and um Palace of Pistons. Um when I started writing there it was, it was literally like he sent me a message it was like, Hey, you know, you wanna do this? And I was like, Well I'm writing for some other place, but sure I'll I can do some stuff and um it's ended up with a really good opportunity. So yeah, I hope everybody um can look forward to that and I hope that people see what I have to get out of it, I suppose. Um And, yeah, so I just wanted to let everybody know about that. The other thing that that will do is I don't actually know for sure how many of the drive games are on the same night as Pistons games. I'll have to double-check that. But, um, obviously, since I've got credentials and such, the drive games will take priority on those nights. There's only five left, so it's not a big deal. But um, there may be a couple of um, games where the Pistons games where um, there's not a recap, or at least the recap is done late. So, just wanted to say that at the end, um, once again, thanks to um, Neroen for coming on. Um, really enjoyed to have him on whenever he is, and I hope that you guys liked this.
1: And, uh, yeah, so you guys all stay beautiful, and go Pistons!